0: Get your quote today at progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust progressive progressive casualty insurance company and affiliates price and coverage match limited by state law.
1: The following is a presentation of A's cast your free 24 seven non-stop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's cast to download the app restrictions apply. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. The team, going back, looking up, he will watch it And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Goal! It. Cody Bellinger hits one out. He Four, so he's your home run derby. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. I am so excited about
0: this show today, I can't even believe it. Yes, we are on the air for the next three hours here on A's Cast Live, and I just realized that I didn't retweet about the show today, Cody, so I apologize, and I'm going to retweet you to let everybody know that we're on the air. But one of the things that when I woke up today and I checked my phone and there was a text from the commander, by the way, good afternoon, Commander,
2: uh good afternoon Tony. Hope all is so, well. What's up? Hope all is well. We are social distancing. He's
0: at his house and I'm at my house. We're literally what about 3 miles away
2: from each other? Three's about right. It's about an 8 minute drive.
0: I could actually tell, Yeah, it just it just depends on uh on uh It just depends on uh if you if you go through the lights. What's the uh what's the shark tank called now?
2: The SAP Center.
0: SAP. I was like, because I was like, is it still uh, HP? It was HP Pavilion,
2: and I don't know what it was before then.
0: So I'm putting my house, so so you live right behind it. I'm putting it in here. Yeah, I'm exactly 3.0 miles from the Shark Tank, and you live right behind it. Yeah. Nobody cares, but that's how close we are. But you're you're at your place. I'm at my place. We are social distancing. You sent me the article from friend of the program, Bob Nightingale, who he had on what, on Monday?
2: Uh, we both interviewed him on Wednesday.
0: On Wednesday. Okay, so he has an article out today that if you're a baseball fan, this is like the best news you've heard in a long time. Talking about getting baseball going once again. We we were kind of ahead of this. We We talked about this a while ago. I had that... I had the crazy idea, put everybody in full in, 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 Arizona. And then all of a sudden I couldn't believe that was actually really being talked about, but Bob has, you know, very connected talking about getting this thing going to where teams in Florida who train in Florida, they play in Florida and the teams in Arizona, they play at their ballparks in Arizona and the winner of the Grapefruit League and the winner of the Cactus League will play in the World Series. And by November, you're going to play a World Series. You've got domes in both states. You can play at the Marlins Park. In my, I, I. He mentions Tropicana Field. They're not playing at the TROP. The TROP, uh, no offense, it's a dump. Uh, you can play down at Marlins Park. And by the way, Marlins Park... Is as, as, as much as people rag them about their attendance, they do have the Clevelander, which is the pool in left field where people are in bathing suits and bikinis, having cocktails while watching Marlins games. Can you imagine being in the pool during the World Series watching whoever Yankees Dodgers? That'd that be, uh... be any good.
2: That would be a really cool atmosphere because we've, uh, we've seen the Dodgers take a plunge in the pool and chase field at the Diamondbacks ballpark after they won the division. So I'd love to see people floating around at the Clevelander. A little different. They took down that huge atroc- uh, monstrosity that was the home run statue that they had there in center field. But uh, Marlins Park is only, what, like eight years old now? This will be their, their eighth season. I think it opened in 2012. So, I mean, too bad the Marlins haven't seen a winning season since 2003. But it would be great to see playoff games played at Marlins Park. I
0: was uh, there two years ago, and it was second. It was the second to the last game of the year, and there literally is nobody there. But you go down into the Clevelander, and it's packed. And I and I I mentioned bathing suits first, but there are legitly bikinis in there. <laughs> I thought people were full of it. It's real. I've seen it with my own eyes. We'll go to the – Cody, the World Series, you and I are going, and we're going to be hanging in the the Clevelander for the World Series between whoever. Um, And also, you could play in Arizona at Chase Field. You could play the World Series there. You You know, spitballing this thing, you could play multiple games a day at Chase Field. So I know Bob mentions the Great Food League could get going at 11 a.m. Eastern and then, you know, play throughout the day, and Arizona teams can play, and we can have games going all day long. Universal DH. I mean, this is the time where baseball could really make some changes and see whether it works or not. But this would be awesome for our country. Please, South Korea, work. South Korea is getting ready to open up their season. They would be the model. And what, what that would do for baseball, and you hear me say it all the time, they wouldn't have to be the first one in the pool. They can say, look, they're playing in South Korea. It's working. So that's why I cross your fingers, pray that South Korea works, and get baseball going. And what this would mean for our country What this would mean for the sport, once again, this sport, and we'll talk to Tom Brenneman about it. Of course, Tom's been around this his entire life, as his dad uh, just retired. Marty Brenneman, one of the great voices of the game, just retired. We honored him in Oakland. Uh, We should. He was was one of the best baseball broadcasters of all time. But what this would mean for the sport being America's pastime again, because everybody would watch. People who don't even ever really watch baseball would now get into baseball. It'd be huge. And the way that it's set up, I absolutely love it. So they're basically going to put the teams that are closest together for spring training. So how would it work for the A's? So Bob has the division called the Northeast in Arizona. That That would be Oakland, San Francisco, Chicago Cubs, Arizona Diamondbacks, and Colorado Rockies. Now think about that. So where the A's play in Mesa, just down the road, Sloan Park is where the Cubs play. Just down the road in Scottsdale is where the Giants play, and Salt uh, Salt
2: Salt Saltwater Field. I think isn't it Saltwater Fields?
0: You see, suddenly, I, I was just there. Um, that's where the Diamondbacks and the Rockies train. Saltwater so fields. So they would all just be down the street from each other. And what I love about this—no,
2: oh, actually, I'm wrong. It's Salt River Fields. My bad. At Talking Stick.
0: What did I call it? Saltwater. I called it
2: Saltwater. It's Salt River Fields at Training Stick at, at Talking Stick. See, our memories are so bad because it's been what a month since we've been in Arizona.
0: <laughs> As the Rock would say, <laughs> it doesn't matter. Okay. This would be – going into this division here, Commander, there's no question the A's are the best team in this division. Cubs, Giants, D-backs, Rockies, not one of those teams on paper is as good as the A's.
2: I agree, agree 100%. 100%. I, I mentioned to you I think the next best team is the Diamondbacks because of what they did this offseason, adding Bumgarner and Starling Marte and Cole Calhoun, I forgot about him, Stephen Vogt. They've added some nice pieces, but, yeah, no one – and they only won 85 games last year. So they're still 12 games behind what the A's did last year and 21 behind the Dodgers. Just just to put that out so there. So
0: if you're telling me these are the teams you're going to play the most, bring it on. I mean, bring it on. Now, the one thing that I really like is that the the West Division in the Cactus League, the A's are not in that cuz you do not want to be in this division cuz that's where the Los Angeles Dodgers are. It's Dodgers White Sox, who people think are going to be a lot better. Cincinnati Reds, people think are going to be a lot better. When you start adding Moustakis and Castellanos and they got that pitching, Cleveland Indians and Angels, that to me, that to me looks like a tough division. Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, Indians, Angels. I, I, that, that. That's going to be one of the toughest because there, there's there, there's a couple in the Grapefruit League we're going to go into and going to go wow, but wouldn't you? I mean, that's no day at the beach right there, that division.
2: No, because it's like you, like you mentioned, it's every team that people besides the Dodgers who you know we, we expect to run away at the NL. Well, what would have been the NL West by June And that division in the West in the Cactus League, the White Sox. You know, they've done a lot of things, adding Dallas Keuchel. They signed Luis Robert to that big deal, and he's never played a major league game. You got the Reds with who they added. They also added Shogo Akiyami, the first Japanese player ever in franchise history. The Indians are still going to be pretty good with Bieber and Clevenger and, and the Franimal, who they have. Like, they have a lot of nice pieces. And then the Lindor Angels. Lindor is still there. Yeah, Lindor is still there. For, well, for the time being, he's still there. And yeah, then, I wonder
0: what's – has, has anybody mentioned a trading deadline?
2: Well, they can't. Well, yeah, can't talk about that right now because they don't know what it's going to be. All right, all right. So then we go
0: to the Northwest where this is going to be uh, – <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, this is, this is going to be a joke. Uh, brewers are the winners, we can tell you already, of the Northwest. It's the Brewers, Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Royals. I, I if you said all right, Townie, you got to put a you got to put a grand on it. Who are you putting it on? I'm putting it on the Brewers.
2: Yellows could take another month. He, remember, he got hurt last year in September. This year, he can just take the last month off because the Brewers probably will be so far ahead. Now, I wouldn't sleep on the Rangers for what they've done with adding Kluber, and they got a lot of nice young. You know, Joey Gallo will be back for a full year, hopefully. I don't and have the talent that the Brewers have. No, but I'm just saying to compete. I think the Rangers are the the next best team, maybe. I well, mean. Hey.
0: You and Bob Townsend's Padres <laughs> should be better, but I mean, I, I, how Man- many times can you say that?
2: Is Manny going to try? That's all I, I, if Manny Machado goes out and tries, maybe they finish in second. Maybe no, they
0: got three, they got three managers, so they got three guys yeah. that uh,
2: three guys are going to you know are they going to inspire Manny Machado to play much better heading into well, 2020.
0: All right, so I think the Brewers win that in a landslide. I I, I, I however it will shake out. And however they they would let us know how it worked. I got Oakland in the Northeast. I got L.A. in the West, Dodgers. And I got the Brew Crew in the Northwest.
1: Streaming from the town, Ace Cast Live continues with Chris Townsend. All right, Cody, I'm texting with my buddy
0: Rob, Rob Heller in uh, New York. And he says Mets would have a tough division they would be trading the Braves and the Phillies for the Astros and the Cardinals. <laughs> so, yeah, hey, this is, fa- I mean, I find this fascinating. Do you find this fascinating?
2: Oh, absolutely. That division. So the division okay. right now is, is pretty good. Except while well, there's one team in there that's not very good, but maybe they will let, be, let, who knows? Let, let's start with the North
0: first. Cause this is hands down. Yankees win this it's Yankees, Phillies, Blue Jays, Tigers and Pirates. So the Tigers and the Pirates, they're dogs with fleas. Blue Jays have young talent, but that's what they are, they're young. They're going to win some games with their young talent, but they're they're not ready yet. And the Phillies we'll check in with Kevin Franzen when we when we get into the AL East. To me they're kind of I I don't think we know. You know, you you you, you get rid of your manager. And you bring in a guy like Joe Girardi, who brings instant credibility, World Series champion as a manager, World Series champion multiple times as a player, Um, old school, but I think he's gonna learn from the knock on him leaving New York was he doesn't relate to the players that well, which I think people kind of debunk that. They just wanted to make a change. Let's face it, sometimes you know, a relationship like Cashman and Girardi, some point you just you need to make a change. Because I, I think Girardi a very good manager. So I don't know about the Phil. I know about the Yankees. I, I think we both agree the Yankees win this division in a landslide.
2: Oh, completely. I mean, the talent they have alone. I mean, yeah, the Pirates are going to be bad. They. I think the Tigers and Pirates might contend for the worst record in baseball just playing in that division against the Yankees. Depending on how many times they play a year, but. Yeah, the Yankees should run away with that. Uh, no question about it.
0: And does the not does does having the DH favor the American League teams because they actually have DHs right now, and the National League, you're now looking what for one of your bench guys to be the DH? I mean, you can get away with it for three games, but now if you're playing a lot of games and you don't have a legit DH, I'm I. We'll just have to let it play out, as they say. But I got to think that that, that that's going to be a little knock on the, uh, on the national league teams against the American league teams.
2: Yeah. I think that finding a DH is going to be, is going to be difficult. And you know, I, I, this is way completely different, but I started the trend with playing on MLB the show 20 where I started the franchise, when I started franchise, I, I put the universal DH in just for, you know, to get ready for it. And you're right. I think finding a guy—you're not going to be able to find a guy off the bench who is a you know a fringe starter that's going to be able to come in. Where you know the A's have Mark Hanna, who wasn't you know wasn't an everyday player, who comes in and he becomes an everyday player because he plays everywhere. I don't think the Pirates and the Phillies maybe have that guy on their bench to come in to to you know help the team win as like an AL team will be equipped to have. Okay, and then in the East, you're going to have the Nationals,
0: the Astros. The Mets, the Cardinals, and the Marlins. Oof, that is brutal. I mean, that 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 right there, that's a toss-up. Marlins stink. Everybody else is good. The Nationals will be good. The Astros will be have One thing working against the Nationals, we haven't had a repeat champion since the Yankees. It's been a long time. But you got the Nationals, the Astros, the Mets think they're going to be better. Cardinals are always ready to compete. We just previewed them. That's not going to be, and I think this is the worst. I mean, this is this is a bloodbath right here. The Grapefruit League South would be the Red Sox, the Twins, the Braves, the Tampa Bay Rays, and the Baltimore Orioles. Think about that. Rays, Braves, Twins. Are three legit teams who you could make a case for could win the World Series? Yeah, I, I gotta, I, sorry, I gotta go say ahead. they're the, they're the only division out of all these divisions that you can say there's three legit. No, I'd say the East too. So the South and the East in the in the Grapefruit League, you've got. I'd say you got four teams. Nationals just won it, obviously. Nationals, Astros, Mets, Cardinals. And then in the South, Red Sox, Twins, Braves, Ray. People don't think Boston's going to be as good, but if Boston won it, it wouldn't be a shocker. Those two divisions in the Grapefruit League would be, oh, my God. That would be, that would be.
2: That's no day at the beach. It's tough for the Marlins and the the Orioles there, especially for teams that are. I think the Marlins are a little farther ahead than the Orioles are when it comes to uh, being contenders again, but I mean you got to look at that. I mean I have all those teams. I personally I, I like the Rays. The Rays are the Braves out of all those teams we mentioned, aside from the Orioles and Marlins. But you got the Astros and everything who were the, not that the Astros in the World Series last year. The Nationals won the World Series last year. The Red Sox lost bets, but who knows? They maybe some guys step up for them, and then the Twins are the Twins. They hit 307 home runs last year, but. How's that affect them with a the dead-in baseball if that actually does happen like Bob Nightingale said he thinks there could be a dead-in baseball like how's that affect the Twins who went out and added Josh Donaldson to to their lineup to help hit home runs what if they're not hitting 307 home runs how does that affect them so uh, you're right though I completely agree I think that the I think the the East in the grapefruit league Nats Astros Mets Cardinals uh, good luck good luck especially the, the Mets supposed to be much better this year I think you you, you know you, you so first for the A's I
0: love it. I think the A's are better than the Cubs, Giants, D-backs and Rockies. I think there's no question. So you got to love it if you're the A's. You got to love it if you're the Brewers because you're better than the Padres, Mariners, Rangers, Royals. Dodgers are better than everybody else, but that, that there's their, theirs would be the toughest in the in the Cactus League. Dodgers, White Sox, Reds, Indians, Angels. That would be the toughest, but the Dodgers clearly the Dodgers have the best roster in the Cactus League if not baseball I mean their roster is just you know when we saw them down at Spring Trent were you still there yet or was that after you left
2: it was the, they we played the Dodgers the day after so I would I left Wednesday yeah. night we played them Thursday they come,
0: they come walking into the ballpark and you're just like wow they've got talent I mean <laughs> you got-
2: I mean they're getting Gavin Lux to play second base and he played what like I don't know, 30 or 40 games last year. You're going to get a full year out of him who's supposed to be, you know, he's one of the most high prospects in baseball behind Wander Franco and a few other people. So the, go, along with the the NL MVP in Cody Bellinger, the 2018 AL MVP Mookie Betts, they added David Price. You still got Kershaw and Bueller and I, Ginger Guard. Loaded. Yeah. They are loaded. What happens if Blake
0: Trinan even gets close to what he was two years ago to go with Canley Jansen in the back of that bullpen, and if Jansen, you know, I, I I bet for 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 Jansen that this time away from baseball will only help his his tired arm. I mean Jansen. I mean this this is this could be I mean, this Dodger team buying or selling. They'll win over hundred and five games. The Dodgers buying. I think. I mean, think- if we had 106. If we, if they played in their, if they played in their division, their regular division, and they played a ra- regular schedule, they could win 110, 112. I mean, they are just loaded. I mean, they got the Red Beard at third, Secret Short, Muncie. I mean, Lots. Jock Peterson can't even get into the lineup, and he had <laughs> 36 home runs last year.
2: Well, that's because they signed AJ Pollock to that four-year, 66 million dollar deal, and. He went, well, what I think I went over it when we talked to the Dodgers the other day. He was like one for 13 in the postseason with 11 strikeouts. Uh, that's not good for a guy that you gave out your biggest free agent contract to that's going to be platooning with Jock because you're not taking Mookie Betts or Cody Bellinger out of the lineup. There's no way. Although, if I remember correctly, two years ago in the World Series, the Dodgers didn't use Cody Bellinger against lefties. So uh, maybe if they would have used him in Muncie, they might have won that World Series and not lost four games to one to the Red Sox. So did 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 Bob Nightingale? Did he talk about how the playoffs would work, or is he just saying best records? Um, I think he's just talking about best records because playoffs. It, it'd be interesting to see how they did it because he went on to talk about the the using the universal DH and all that. Like I think is great because the the report yeah. that was out earlier this week was we'd have seven inning double headers. You know the players will do the social distancing. That was if we played every game in Arizona, but now the, the Grapefruit League is in play. It's gonna be interesting to see how they how they do all that with social I go distancing full, and go go full board playoffs.
0: You got three division winners and then you
2: go how many wild cards? What's well it depends on teams they keep in, it depends on the teams they put in the playoffs. Too, because if you if you want if you want to do the new form, what was the new format gonna be? It would be seven playoff teams. Remember when we were talking about that would be three wild yeah, cards.
0: Yeah, I, I I kind of forget what it was like three so wild it, cards.
2: It, it, and then the top three teams. So the the top three teams would pick, and then the first wild card four, would play. You'd have,
0: four, you'd have four wild card teams. So you'd have you'd have the you'd have the division winners, and then you'd have the a four uh, yeah, whoever cool. has the best record. So they're the top wild card, and then you have what? Oh,
2: two other wild cards. That uh, was that two or I, I think the way it worked was if we did it, the the Astros would have picked like between the Indians, Red Sox, and the Rays. Um, which they probably would have picked the Indians or, Rays, Indians or Red Sox. And then the Yankees would have picked whoever's left out of that. And then I remember it would end up being the Rays and the A's would end up playing each other still in the, in the first round. Because that's, that's how it worked out. Cleveland would have been in. Yeah, Cleveland would have been in. Boston would have been in as well, I think. Because if we added the two more teams, because they were the next two teams behind the A's and Rays. So you you do the
0: you do the cactus league in Arizona. You do the grapefruit. I mean at the uh, at the chase at Chase Field, and then you do the the grapefruit league playoffs. You do that at uh, Marlins Park, and then you pick one or the other as your World Series destination. Or you could say let's meet in the middle and we'll play in Houston or we'll play in Texas,
2: play yeah. in Arlington. Yeah, I like the idea of playing one, one of the ballparks in 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 Texas because you got the new Rangers ballpark that's going to have the retractable roof. You already have Minute Maid that has the retractable roof. I, I like that idea. I, I, I think that – I like the idea of doing the seven teams per – I mean, I know that's a lot. People don't want to have seven teams, but I like it where you have – you essentially would have the you know the Yankees. And, and the, if you look at the – Grapefruit League, you'd have the Yankees, the Astros, and, and whoever picked the, out of the four wild cards. would be great. And then you're looking in the Cactus League, you, you'd hope it would be the A's, Brewers, and, and Dodgers would pick between the three wild cards and then the one would play the other. So – uh, I like that idea. and the new the 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 new
0: ballpark in Texas is gonna be sweet. And don't forget, literally fifteen yards away from that new ballpark is Texas Live. If you have no idea what Texas Live is, Google it and look it up. It's awesome. Restaurants, bars, they supposedly have the largest TV screen in the country and they can break it all up and show all these different things. They've got, I was in there one night, one night, they had a live band going uh, Pudge Rodriguez has a pizza place. Troy Aikman has a wine bar. Uh, what else was in there? Oh, the, the, the barbecue place. I actually ate with uh, uh, Glenn Kuiper and Ray Fossey. I Texas live. You're gonna have a world series. You can hang out at Texas live. That's where everybody goes before
2: cowboy games. It would be legit. Uh, by the way, Feltie's going to be calling into us, so we're w- awaiting his call. Are we getting this right? So I remember it'd be three division winners.
0: So it would have been it would have been the Yankees. Uh, uh, the talking about if we use last year's standings. So it would have been the Astros. Would have been first. Yankees second, then twins.
2: The next the next back record was who the A's? It was Yankees, twins. And then, no, because you have to go to the division winners. Yeah, I
0: gave you the three division yeah. winners.
2: The Astros, the Yankees, the twins. Then it's the A's Then the A's. And then it was the Rays and then the Rays. And then it would have been the Indians, Indians. And then it would have been Boston. So it's six teams. Not okay. seven. You yeah. said so seven. They, yeah, so they add the additional wild card, and then the A's and the A's and Rays would still end up playing each other, is what I was saying. Cody, where are the athletics
0: in this simulated season?
2: So the Evil Empire is in is in Oakland starting a well the series already started starting a three game set today. And the A's take game one of the series four two to move to eleven and three on the year. The best team. A good start. The best team in Major League Baseball, they scored three runs in the eighth inning to take the win. Jake Deekman picked up his first win of the season. Liam Hendricks, his fourth save. Bassey goes seven in the third, allowing two runs and striking out nine. He has a nice yes. little 2.71 ERA on the year. The Yankees drop to nine and five. But listen to this pitching matchup on Sunday. Garrett Cole, because I, I went and looked ahead. Garrett Cole versus Jesus Lazardo. Oh
0: God! How good is that?
2: Uh, Garrett Cole in year is one and one with a four five eight ERA in oh, three starts. God. Whoa! Thirty that's strikeouts, not- thirty strikeouts in nineteen and two thirds innings though. That's a lot of strikeouts.
0: That's not worth three hundred plus million dollars. Yeah. Can't be having a four ERA in your prime with the Yankees. So that's a you know what I. That this doesn't shock this if the A's, I think this 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 is this is once we get this thing going, man, this team's confident. I would not be shocked. I mean, this, and this really to me, this sim, simulation deal is exactly what needs to happen for the A's. Oh, I agree. They need to get out to a hot start. No more, especially oh God. I mean, that was kind of the the big keys. Uh, that we were talking about in spring training. And now with a shortened season, you cannot do this. We're going to be 500 or a little bit below 500 for a while. And then we're just going to get red hot. You you may run out of time. You need to start out hot and stay hot.
2: Which is something the A's have, has escaped the A's the last couple of years, even though they won 97 games, a slow start has been something that's escaped them. The The Dodgers, by the way, are ten and four, the Diamondbacks ten and five, catch you know nipping uh, nipping on their heels there in the NL West, or what would be the now uh, which would be the Cactus League, for those two teams if we do that new season. Worst team in baseball, do you know who it is?
0: Worst team in baseball, simulated season. I'm gonna go with. Oh, I think you already told me this. Yeah, hey, I already know who it is. So, I, I mean, I can I can tell you it will be your fighting Phillies, the fighting Phils.
2: Yeah, the fighting Phils are three and eleven, followed by uh, the Padres at four and ten, the Angels at four and ten, the Tigers are four and nine. The Twins are actually the worst team in the uh, AL Central at four and ten.
3: Really?
2: Yeah, and then the Orioles are five and nine. Five wins for the Orioles. That's a nice uh, trend upward from where they were last year.
0: Don't tell my brother that the that the that the Friars are 4 and 10. He'll be in full on panic mode.
2: Let, let's let's pull up their uh, let's pull up the stats on the Padres and see how one Manny Machado is doing. See well, is he trying? Is, it, is tra- Manny
0: Machado actually trying in uh in this simulated season?
2: Uh not really. Uh 204 batting average, one yep. homer, seven RBIs. He has a 6.10 OPS. Uh, I would say he's not doing well in his age 27 season. He's played in all 14 games. He struck out 10 times in 54 at-bats. Not good for Manny Machado, who is not trying, but Eric Hosmer having a nice little bounce back at 279, so the two highest-paid guys on the team struggling for the Padres. I'd be interested in talking to a player who's
0: not having a good season this simulation go, hey, how do you feel about that?
2: Uh, let's pull up the Let's see. Let's see who's not doing well on the on our Oakland Athletics according to the simulation, because we know. How...
0: I I got them at eleven and three.
2: Yeah, they're eleven and three. Uh, we know how good Marcus Simeon's doing. He has the eight home runs. Oh, Chris, Chris Davis. Chris, da- Chris Davis has seven homers and he's hitting three oh two. That's a bit above <laughs> the two forty seven we're used to. Uh, Chappy Matt Chapman is hitting one seventy nine. Now he has three homers and ten RBIs, but that's not good. Matt Olson hitting two seventeen two homers. Five RBIs, but players like Ramon Loriano who's hitting 304 with three homers, are the guys carrying the A's. And last in, in, in the game against the Yankees, which would have been tonight, which was already played. Mark Canna was the big hero as he drove in two runs in the eighth with a double. Canna on the year is hitting 250 with one homer and eight RBI. So some of the guys we saw last year put up really big numbers are not, except for Marcus Simeon and a nice little bounce back by Chris Davis.
0: Can you imagine Chris Davis in the simulated season wins the batting title?
2: Oh boy. I mean that how crazy would that be? That he <laughs> he, he hits like three he hits three forty seven just to be a yeah. hundred points above his career batting average pretty much. And he wins yeah. That's not gonna happen. But he, he might win the home run title. I mean he's right behind Marcus. Oh,
0: look at look, look Bassey's having a good start of the year. He started three games with a two point two one ERA. Yeah, he's... Sean Minai is out to a great at three starts with a one point one four ERA. Let's see here. Where are the other starters? Uh, oh, Lou Trevino with a nice little bounce back. He's got a 1.59 ERA.
2: Proud of the PSAC conference in Pennsylvania.
0: Fires is struggling with a 6.55 earn run average. But they, they got Fires coming out of the bullpen.
2: What's the deal? Yeah, remember, he started after uh, Joaquin Soria started as the opener. Fires came in and gave up seven runs in that start. I think it was against Minnesota, if I'm not mistaken, who he started against before the uh, A's were down in Anaheim. Marcus Simeon still leads Major League Baseball in home runs with eight, followed by Chris Davis, Joey Gallo, and the franimal was always seven.
0: Well, that, I mean, saying Mike Fires is not going to start, and he's going to be the guy, the opener, he's going to have an opener. Lou Trevino's been the opener for him. It's like, that's not, that, come on. I mean, what what, what I mean, I, I love what they're doing. This is fun to talk about and it's fun to look at. But come on, I mean, Mike Fires is taking the ball opening day for God's sakes. And uh, he's going to start.
2: Former A Kurt Suzuki. I'm looking at the uh, stats for the leaderboard. Former A Kurt Suzuki hitting a cool 444 on the year with one homer, seven RBIs. Um, I don't know how long that's going to stand, uh, stay up. And then the Yankees Miguel Andujar, who's back from injury, is hitting 444 as well. With two homers and thirteen, or let's see, two, yeah, two homers, thirteen RBIs for the Evil Empire, New York Yankees, and his return from injury. where, where, where where's your halos? My halo. It's um, uh, not my halos. That uh, those are Dina, my fiance's halos. They are four and ten on the season. Let's see what uh we looked at the other day at how Mike Trout and Rendon were doing. Oh, Trout's done. Yeah, other Trout. Then they
0: say he's, is, is his career already on the on the downside.
2: He's up a little up a little bit, two thirteen batting average. Uh one homer, two RBI. The home run and RBI is not there for Michael Michael Trout. Then Anthony Rendon, who I think he was in like one sixty the other day when we looked. He's uh, hitting one seventy five now. with two homers, eight RBIs. I told you Justin Upton's leading the way for them with six homers, eighteen RBIs. For the Angels as they struggle once again. And O'Tani's hitting four hundred. Four hundred for O'Tani with no homers three RBI. So looks like Otani is uh, ready to get back on the uh get back into D H for the how how many? How many? Uh, how many games has he played? Uh, Otani. Yeah. Otani has played in nine games, and let's see, has he start? He's zero two on the mound in three starts with a four eight six ERA. Dare we, dare we say he's he's done as a pitcher, just, just to squarely be a hitter kid?
0: Well, he 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 goes on to the list of guys that this layoff is helping. I mean, anybody who's coming back from Tommy John surgery or any type of surgery, you know, you, you, you think of certain players. I mean, Otani is definitely one, one of the major players who's benefiting from no games right now. Aaron Judge, when we found out it just wasn't the rib, it was a collapsed lung. I mean, who knows how many games he was going to miss. John Carlos Stanton was going to start the year hurt once again. So for some players, not having these games
2: is helping them to get back on the field when we do start this thing. Uh, Aaron Judge not listed on the Yankees here in the simulations. So they must think he's on the IL where Stanton has played in all 14 games and he has six homers and 11 RBIs, but only hitting a cool 208 for the one they used to call Mike Stanton. I like the list of the most hyped
0: prospects for every team. I Who was that- the A's, by the way? You didn't have it on
2: here. Oh, it's, it's Todd Van Poppel.
0: Todd Van uh, – Mr. Undefeated. <laughs> Couldn't lose a game in high school. He was bad. They- I he's, he's, he's like uh, – I want to say he's just a little bit – uh man.
2: I think he's just a little bit older than I was. Cause he, he came out in 91. He was like 18. So you figured that was 20, 30 years ago. So he's probably like 47, 48. 50, 40. Yo,
0: he, he's uh he's born in December. So yeah, he was in, he was, uh, he was in, uh, he was in high school at the same time. I was, we're the same age, 48. I just turned it. He'll be 49, uh, in December. Um, but, yeah, he was class of 90 because I remember the Sports Illustrated. Like, this guy, I mean, he was being compared to Nolan Ryan, obviously being a Texas guy, you know, never lost in high school. He ended up getting to the big leagues and pitch for the A's and having a career because there, there, there's some prospects that are so overhyped and they never even get to the big leagues. I mean, he got to the big leagues. Uh,
2: Brian Taylor. That's one. That's one guy I can think of. Number one overall pick did he make it to the majors with the Yankees in 1989. Uh, Van Poppel's best year, I think, was 2001. He was a reliever for the Cubs. He had an, he actually had a really I think he had like an ERA in 59 games, like 2.52 or something like that. Best year he had of his career because as a starter he had a negative WAR. He just wasn't any good. The ace cut him. Yeah.
0: Let's see. He was he played he played all the way to 04 with the Cincinnati Reds. God, he played longer than I thought. Todd Van Poppel. But some of the names on this list are awesome. Uh, Troy, uh, Fremont High School, San Jose
2: Zone, or would you call that Campbell, Troy Tulowitzki. Fremont, uh, that's tough because I know what you're talking about too. I, uh, because if you look on his baseball reference page, it says that he's uh, from like Santa, I think it says he's from Santa Clara or something. I don't know, but so, yeah, David Wright with the Mets. Oh, no, that, that list I have right there, that was me, like, building off of that list that that oh. um, Schoenfeld did. Those are my guys, I thought, who were, you know, highly talented guys whose c- careers were cut short. Because I thought of, like, him, David Wright, Brandon Webb, Mark Pryor, Johan Santana, wow. Nobar, et cetera. Uh, the guys on the list, though, the Schoenfeld, like, he had, like, Bryce Harper on there for the Nationals. Like, there were some guys, and then he broke them into tears. It was a good article, but – uh, I thought the the Todd Van Poppel one was, was fascinating because, you know, he was the one for the A's. And we've seen some guys like your guy, Derek Barton, be highly touted and, and uh, never really put it all together.
0: All right, let's go through some of these. And the Angels one is great because one, one of the best success stories in the history of the game coming out of the University of Michigan, no question, is, is Jim Abbott. I mean, he was an inspiration to so many people. And Jim Abbott was very good. He's got Mike Trout on there, but he says the most overhype for the, uh, the most hype, not overhype, the most hype ever was Shohei Otani. I love the Royals one because, you know, I, I think this guy's the greatest athlete of all time. That's Bo Jackson. You're talking about a guy who was an all-star and an all-pro in football. No one has ever done that before.
2: He was on my list of players. No one probably ever will. Yeah, I put him on that list of players whose careers got cut short by injury uh, because he was good.
0: And think about this with Bo Jackson. His very first at-bat on the first pitch he saw when he came back from surgery and he was with the White Sox, he hit a home run. I mean, Bo Jackson, if Bo Jackson doesn't get hurt, and 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 if you're young and you never got to see him run the football, and he literally went from baseball to football and immediately was the best running back in the game. They, he pushed Marcus Allen, Hall of Famer. <laughs> Marcus, go to fullback. We got Bo Jackson, uh, the Mariners. That's an easy... You know, this is... This is highly debatable.
2: Ken Griffey Jr. or Alex Rodriguez? Whoa, I would... Uh... Is, is this this is is most hyped, right? I would go probably. I would go probably Griffey. Probably only because of his father. I would say because because of, of the lineage with his dad. I mean, there were people saying
0: this this kid in South Florida is one of the most incredible prospects we've ever seen. I mean, he was highly Alex Rodriguez. No, I mean the guy had 200 hits like in his second year with the Mariners. I mean if you take away Griffey's history of his father playing big red machine and for the Yankees, I don't know. I think that would be a toss up because they, I mean, I, I I remember reading about a rod when he was drafted, that this guy is just going to be, this guy is just going to, you know, through the moon, how good this guy is
2: going to be. Yeah. He, well, he went on to have a nice little career. I believe today, uh, I want to say it was twenty years ago or t- nineteen years ago on this date. He hit his f- he became the youngest player to join the four hundred home run club with the- when he was with the Reds. Uh, just shows you how good he was. Uh, really go to the Mariners, then he goes to the Reds, and I mean he didn't have the the career at the Reds that people thought he would because of the injuries, but still he was a probably one of the best swings I've ever seen. And he made baseball even cooler when he put the hat on backwards.
0: That did it for you, huh? The hat
2: backwards. I mean, what the baseball player? I'm sorry, I didn't see uh, didn't see Babe Ruth going out there with a backwards cap on, or uh, or Mickey Mantle, or any of the guys in the 70s and 80s. I don't think Ray Fosse was wearing a backwards cap in the 70s.
0: Also, another one that's highly debatable: the Atlanta Braves. He takes Andrew Jones over the number one
2: overall pick, Chipper Jones. I mean, I, Andrew Jones had a nice career too. I mean, he was a. am not, not buying this at all, Dude, Chipper was the first pick in the draft. Uh, and a hall, hall knew of who famer. Chipper was. Yeah, everyone know who. What's his real name? Larry. This is his real name is? But yeah. everyone knew how good Chipper was, and Andrew Jones uh, ended up being a, a great defensive center. He had a nice career. I think he had what? Did he have 400 home runs in his career? He ended up having a nice career.
0: Oh, there's no doubt. I
2: made I, a lot of money too. Uh. I, I'm with you. I think Chipper would be more would have been more hyped than than Andrew Jones. I think Chipper might have been the most hyped Braves guy in a long time.
0: Mark Pryor with the Cubs. We remember him coming out of USC. He was Mister Perfect Mechanics, and then just couldn't stay healthy. Yeah, USC, he was 15 and one with a 1.69 ERA in his junior season, but just never could stay healthy. Uh, the Yankees. Here's a great example. Remember Brian Taylor, the left-hander who just blew smoke, never even made it to the big leagues.
2: Yep, 1989. Remember it well because he was a guy that couldn't even make it to the majors. I remember him. They say he's like the biggest draft bust of all time. And there's a lot of guys on there. Rockleball Deli is another draft bust. There's been so many guys that have been – Matt Bush. Josh Hamilton was one for a long time until he had to bounce back with the Rangers and Reds. But, yeah, Brian Taylor, I don't think there's ever going to be one that – I don't think we're going to see a guy for a long time not make it to the majors after being drafted in the – well, I think he was number one overall, wasn't he? Number one overall, yeah. Yeah. So Brian
0: Cashman said, quote, Bill Livesy – I think is how you say it – is one of the greatest scouts of our era. He told me the best amateur position player he ever saw was Alex Rodriguez and the best amateur pitcher he ever saw, Brian Taylor. By the way, there's some names on here. Um, I don't know, Joe DiMaggio, you might have heard of him. Uh, Mickey Mantle, uh, another guy by the name of Derek Jeter.
2: <laughs> yeah, those guys are pretty. They, I think they've, they're all in that, that, that museum in New York they call the Hall of Fame. I think they're all in there.
0: I mean, you're going to tell me that uh, Joe DiMaggio wasn't hyped up? Uh, Bay Area Zone, Greg Jeffries for the New York Mets, ahead of Tom Terrific, Tom Seaver, Daryl Strawberry, Dwight Gooden, and can we throw in also first-round pick Billy Bean?
2: Yeah, I was going to say, when, when are you going to throw Billy in there? W- what about David Wright? David Wright was a highly touted guy for the, for the Mets for a long time. Uh, a guy that was not – Jacob DeGrom was not a highly touted Mets guy. Uh, he's a bit of a sleeper sleeper guy that came out of nowhere for them. But uh, the Mets have had some guys over the pa- past decade or so that have been highly touted to have uh, – it. was it Lasting's Millage? thing's millage was a guy they had. They thought was going to be the future of the franchise and he never did anything.
0: Yeah. I I thought, uh, I thought the rays was very interesting because the rays have had quite a few uh, big time. going to be a great player. He gets the nod here, but Matt white think about Josh Hamilton, BJ Upton, David price. These guys were all, I mean, David price coming out of Vanderbilt. Everybody thought he was the guy.
2: Who, who? I didn't look. I, I this. I didn't look. I wasn't trying to be selfish, but uh, who who'd they have? Who does David have for the Pirates?
0: I'm just going down the list right now because okay. the list goes in tears. Red Sox. Uh, he was a kid in San Diego that they said uh, this guy can hit, and he may be the uh, he may be uh, he may be the best player in baseball when he gets here because he was playing in the Pacific Coast League back then for the Padres. That's the great Ted Williams is the most hype is a most hyped guy ever for the Red Sox. I think Ted I think Ted would go on to have a pretty good career.
2: Uh he wrote a book. Um he missed a couple years cuz of uh service time. He still uh was the last guy to hit 400 in a season. Uh he was um he was a nice little ball player there for the uh Red Sox. Is his head still frozen? I was just going to think think like, is he still frozen cuz I remember that was a big thing. Uh I haven't heard anything about it. I remember like, like the, what was that like 10-plus years ago, and they were talking about him being frozen. But uh, I haven't heard anything about it more recently. I can double-check to see if that's that's still a thing. How about the Orioles? It's Ben McDonald. Ben McDonald, we got to see play at
0: LSU and uh, his career in the the College World Series. So I see that one. J.D. Drew, St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Remember, he's a Boris guy, and there was always issues with him and money. Always, J.D. Drew, if you remember back.
2: Yeah, I remember J.D. because he was with the Cardinals, and then when he went to the – was he with the Braves after that? He was very, very – him and Ankeel were the two guys, like, in the late, late 90s, early 2000s that were very hyped. Because remember, Ankeel was supposed to be the, the hard-throwing lefty that, you know, he had no command, and he moves to the outfield. Uh, but, yeah, I remember JD, drew, cur, J.D. Drew's career very well.
0: Joe Maurer, your, your, your favorite of all time, Joe Maurer with the Minnesota Twins. Future Hall of Ooh. Famer. Had the sign to play quarterback at Florida State for Bobby Bowden, but ended up taking the money and had a pretty good career. Uh, we told you the A's, Todd Van Poppel. They, they acted like there are people saying, oh, yeah, he throws as hard as Nolan Ryan. No, not even close. Josh Beckett for the Marlins. Remember him coming up? David Clyde for the Texas Rangers. Uh, oh, you know they. The other day they have an honorable mention for the Texas Rangers, your friend and Profar. Profar was so hyped. He As was the best minor leaguer. Oh my god. He really you just was. Know, you just never know. Uh, Diamondbacks. It's uh, Justin Upton, but Travis Lee. Remember the first baseman? Yes. Out of San Diego State. I got to play against him. Uh, Los Angeles Dodgers. I was shocked by this one.
2: Corey Seager. Out of all the great
0: Dodgers there have been, Corey Seager
2: was the most hyped. Mm, I mean, we know, look how hyped that uh, Gavin Lux is. Jesus. <laughs> but I remember the hype on Seager was real. I mean, he was like the number one guy, like forever. Like they were saying like, yeah, he's the guy. Like, he... But you're right. There's been so many guys they've had in their system that have come through that have been great. Piazza being Francisco one of
0: them. The Giants
2: one I disagree with. They've got Tim Lincecum. Was he really that – I mean, I know he's a first-rounder, but was he really that hyped?
0: No, you know who had hype because he was legit and we got to see him on one of the great college baseball teams of all time? That would be Will Clark. Will the Thrill. All, all those guys. Brantley, uh, Palmero. Who's the guy who was the old White Sox closer who set the record for most saves in a season? God. Uh, Thigpen. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Those you- guys were all on. I mean, they they were coming out. You know, We were seeing these guys on ESPN. And when Will Clark, I remember, Will Clark was a big deal. I I, I don't remember. I know people, I don't remember the hype. I, there was a lot of hype on Buster Posey, but I don't remember anybody have more hype than Will Clark. Uh, let's see. Padres are just below that. Yeah, this one Fernando Tatis Jr. Yes, but Dave Winfield, he was Dave Winfield was a star, and Dave Winfield, they were like he could play basketball, he could play football. I-, I I i think I'm going with Dave Winfield, the Hall of Famer, over Fernando Tatis Jr.
2: I mean, I know the hype on Tatis Jr. is real because we have seen him and t- another another team like the White Sox and the White Sox originally had Tatis Jr. and they traded him <laughs> to the Padres. But yeah, uh, Dave Winfield had a nice had a nice career. Uh, you know more about him than I did because you grew up watching him. Uh, I really didn't, but I knew Dave. Obviously i obviously knew who Dave Winfield is. I remember. It with oh, that. look at his numbers. Oh, they're great with the Yankees and, and everyone else he played for. I, me- I remember his. He had a nice career.
0: Oh yeah, Dave Winfield. Um, as <laughs> when he went to New York, everything changed for him. You know, he's kind of he's an all star with the Padres, and you're in a small market and everything's cool, and you're a star, and you're going to the All-Star game, everything. but then he signed with the Yankees and the expectations. You know, this goes back to, to telling people. Back in the day, the Yankees didn't make the postseason, and George Steinbrenner called Dave Winfield Mr. May because he had Mr. October and Reggie, but always said he was Mr. May because he didn't show up. And, <laughs> <laughs> and it was a – I mean, remember – he he had so he had like a private eye, and was trying to get dirt on Dave Winfield. It got it got George Steinbrenner. Do you know that he got suspended for that?
2: Yeah, I remember he was suspended for a while. Uh, he got suspended multiple times, I think, in his career. It was it was it was it was bad. All right, Milwaukee Brewers, Gary Sheffield over Robin
0: Yount and Ben Sheets.
2: Oh, Ben Sheets. I remember him. I remember. How the, I mean, I was a kid, like really, like a little kid, like ten or eleven, when the hype on Ben Sheets was out there.
0: And then with the Houston Astros, Carlos Carrera over J.R. Richard, Floyd Bannister, and Eric Anthony. Just going through all these teams. Billy Hamilton
2: with the Cincinnati Reds, really over this Chapman. Uh, because Ham- it was because of Hamilton and what he did in minor leagues was stealing all the bases. He what was. About, a- what about what? About, I mean, was there no hype for Johnny Bench or Joe Morgan or none of those guys? Uh, I guess they thought they were going to be Hall of Famers when they when the Reds first got him. Pittsburgh Pirates. Oh, let, let me hear. It. Let me hear who J. it is. Yeah take a guess most hyped prospect uh it's not McCutcheon Let's see not Garrett Cole huh who would it be um Chad Hutchinson or um what was his name um it's probably not him who is it
0: well I can't believe the guy they left off the list but it's Chris Benson <laughs> Chris, he was the number one overall pick where did he get he went to Clemson
2: yeah, somewhere like that. I, I just remember the story about him when he was with the Mets because he was so bad with the Pirates. Um, I put him on the list of uh, draft bust that I made. I came up with uh, Benson. I remember when he was with the, the Mets. His wife, I think her name was Anna Benson, said that if she that he if he ever cheated on her, she would um, quote unquote hook up with everyone in the Mets clubhouse. That was the ultimatum she gave him. If he ever did that, and I'll never forget that. But yeah, he was uh, he was a bust for sure. And he was, but he was very hyped. I remember that. I was a little kid, but who 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 were the other options that he put in there? Uh a guy by the name Barry Bonds? Uh yeah, Barry Lamar had a nice little run with the Pirates there. No Bobby I Benia.
4: I
0: out of Arizona State. He 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 made the big leagues like he wasn't in the minor leagues very long. I'm so surprised it's not Barry Barry Bonds.
2: Everybody knew who Barry Bonds was. Was it is it Chad Hermanson? I think that was the guy the Pirates had in like he was the guy they were feeding up when I was a kid. Like, the best player in the, when I was little was like Tony Womack and Kevin Young. And then, like, Chad Hermanson was like the guy. They're like, Yeah, he's going to be the next big thing. And Brian Bullington and he's, none of these guys ever did anything. Because Dominic
0: Brown is for the Phillies. I have no idea who he is. But really? The guy on the list that uh, Pat Burrell's
2: on the list wants Sam Well. Dominic Brown right. was very. I remember Dominic because Dominic Brown was more recent. That's recency bias. That was like 10 plus years ago. Never. He had, okay, one, yeah. he had one good year with the Phillies where he hit, like, over 20 home runs, and then he went to the Blue Jays, and he's been out of baseball since. But he was very hyped for the Phillies. Okay, Cleveland Indians. Also considered the honorable mention,
0: Bob Feller, Vaughn Hayes, Mark Lewis, Manny Ramirez, and Francisco Lindor. Where's Ray Fossey on that list?
2: That's a, that's a good Who honorable mention think- list.
0: Who do you think? Who do you think? Number one hype prospect ever for the Cleveland Indians, and it's not Bob Feller. <laughs> <laughs> it's not Bob Feller, Manny Ramirez,
2: or Lindor. Who do you think it is? Uh, friend oh, of the program. Friend of the program. Um, well, it can't be Tomei because I've never had him on. I'm I'm drawing a blank on who who it could be. Sandy Alomar Jr. Oh, Sandy. Okay. Yeah.
0: New friend of the uh, show. We'll do this quickly. Tigers, listen to this list. The honorable mention Al Kaline, Hall of Famer who just passed, Kurt Gibson, Justin Verlander, Cameron Mabin, Andrew Miller, Casey Mize. Those guys aren't the most hype. Most hype, Matt Anderson. <laughs> like, really? Uh, Rockies, Todd Helton, Troy Tulowitzki, Dexter Fowler. They go with Ian Stewart.
2: Oh, yeah, he was one third baseman.
0: That's pretty shocking. That is pretty shocking. Himbo, how are you doing there in the East Coast? We're worried we're doing, about
5: you. Well, we're doing fine over here. I, I'm just transferring from basement to basement, you know, doing the gloves and the masks and the whole nine yards. But it's good to talk baseball once a week with you guys. So it's uh, I, I always appreciate you having me. When is the last time you were living at your parents' house with <laughs> your siblings? Uh, uh, 2008. And the only difference between then and now is I have a wife. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the dynamic is the same though. Like, we're still arguing about the same stuff. My youngest sister Grace is still like, e- like excusing herself from the dinner table way too early. Like nothing has changed. We're just much older.
0: Yeah, I'm trying to think. The last time I, it, it would, it would be like late '80s, early <laughs> '90s would be the last time my brother and I were in the house at the same time. So yeah, it's uh, crazy. But we're glad you're doing well. So we're gonna debut today here on A's Cast Live some
5: trivia questions about our athletics. I have prepared five trivia questions about your athletics. You, as I told you last week on the show, like what I'm best known for on Get Up is being the character Sneaky Hembo, the person who uh, comes up with a trivia question every uh, every day day. Uh, will have one of our talent attempt to answer. My hit rate's pretty high, uh, but we've turned it into a nice little fun thing, so I'm going to bring that over to you guys today. I love it. We got a little EA Cody. We got a little ESPN production going
2: today. <laughs> uh, I, I'm very excited for this. I can't wait uh, to see what these questions are like. Because I remember the segment on Get Up. So, and I remember Buster tweeting about how you always got him. So I can't wait to see how this goes.
5: <laughs> uh, Buster is oddly bad at guessing answers to trivia questions. Tim Kirchen uh, gets all of them right. He is uh, encyclopedic. My first question for you is this. This is what this one will grease our skids. Who is the only player to produce a 200 hit season? with the A's in Oakland.
0: 200-hit season. Did Simeon, Simeon didn't have 200 hits last year, did he? I'm going to go Johnny Damon.
5: Uh, that is incorrect. The correct answer to that question, I think you might kick yourself, is Miguel Tejada. In 2002, Tejada won. That it was, it was, it might have been his MVP season. 204 hits for oh, Miguel oh, oh, in oh, 2002. Oh, 02 was because uh, oh, 01 was Giambi. Yes, one was Giambi, but I-, I was surprised. It was the only 200-hit season since the team moved to Oakland. Mark Cotts, ranked second at 190. in this year had 187 hits. That's tied for third, the only 200-hit season in, in Oakland days history.
0: The great Miguel Tejada, who I still say, if I'm doing an all-time, as great as Burt Campanaris was and-, and went in the World Series three times with the Athletics and obviously came from Kansas City, I still, if I'm going all-time Oakland A's lineup, my shortstop's going to be Miguel Tejada.
5: And I'll tell you what about Miguel Tejada. I think that he has a better, if not much better, Hall of Fame case than Omar Vizquel. Vizquel has, like, captured the attention of these voters, and and they love the romanticism in which he played. But Miguel Tejada Tejada was a much better player and a much better all-around shortstop than Vizquel. He's just never going to get that kind of love.
0: Wow. Cody would call that a hot take right there. Mm, I love love it. All right.
5: I am from ESPN after all. All right, question <laughs> question number two. This one's LeBron about Tom Brady. James. This, is, this one's about Tom Brady. I'm kidding. Uh, this one's, a, I think, a little bit trickier. We'll see, we'll see if you can nail it. Who owns the highest win percentage managing the A's? Now, this is all-time A's. Who owns the highest career win percentage managing
0: the A's? My grandfather, Bob Elliott, 1960,
5: with the Kansas City Athletics. That is <laughs> That is incorrect. My Uh, grandfather's uh, not. (laughs) Uh, Okay, I'm 96 with the club. He ranks tied for. He ranks 23rd all time in 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 career win percentage for. for Uh,
0: You can get. I'm not gonna go Connie Mack. Um, I I mean, I'll go Tony Larusa.
5: Larusa ranks fourth, believe it or not, by win percentage. Dick Williams ranks wow. first, and only, like, I, I said no minimum, Vic Williams went two, 288 and 190, good for a win percentage of 603. He's the only manager in club history to win more than 60% of his games. Connie Mack won a ton of games, but he also lost a ton of games, minutes yeah. for 50 years, so that's why I did it by record. I thought I might trip you up on that, so we're all well, Dick, Dick, Dick,
0: Dick Williams got out early. You remember he and Charlie Finley, uh, they were not getting along, and after the second World Series, he said, I'm out of here. I mean, he could have won Dick Williams could have won probably four to five World Series if they keep that team together and he stays there.
5: Very possible. He also won 101 games his first year in 1971. As you recall, went on to manage the California Angels, but uh, didn't have nearly as much success there. All right, number All right. three. All right, so uh, we're going for one for three here, kid. All right, which active player Which active player has homered the most times against the A's?
0: Active player who's homered the most. Uh that would be uh what's his name in uh in Minnesota? Um Cody, the big boy in Minnesota, who's killed us for years.
2: Nelson Cruz.
0: Nelson Cruz
5: by far. Nelson Cruz is correct, but not by far. Nelson Cruz has hit thirty five homers it's in his career Trout Michigan trout's the right A's. behind Trout has hit thirty four. Do you it's know who's 34. hit the most? All time? All time. Uh, not off the top of my head. Let me, let me, let me run that query. While, 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 I mean, do you, you it's know not the answer even to this close. question? You know the answer to this? Babe Ruth? Babe Ruth hit like 108 home runs against the athletics. 108 is correct. Exactly. Uh, I see 108 for Babe Ruth. I see 91 for Ted Williams. I see 79 for Lou Gehrig, 77 for Mickey Mantle. That's a pretty nice list. Yeah. I don't think those guys
0: are going to be chased down, but I, I but modern day, I want to say it's a
5: rod and Rafael Palmeiro. Let's see here. Uh, Palmeiro hit, Forty-three. They were tied for fifteenth all time. Rodriguez hit the same exact number, forty-three. So yeah, among like, if, if you want to, if you want to go sort of to the the expansion or the divisional era, your instincts were right. You nailed it. You 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 pepper that leaderboard. Very impressive.
0: Well, I'll tell you what. It the way Trout hits against us, I guarantee you he breaks that. <laughs> yeah, I think mean, that's.
5: Uh, he, he might end up with one hundred and eight. Um, <laughs> yeah, he might. He definitely might. All right. Um, question number four. We're going all the way back here. Which franchise? has the A's beaten the most times in a postseason series. And this is going back to Philadelphia, right? This is going all the way back. Wow.
0: Who have the A's beaten the most? So you think, uh,
5: I'm going to go Boston. Boston is incorrect. They have beaten Boston twice. They've beaten the Red Sox twice, which is one of four teams they've beaten more than once. But the correct answer to that question is the Giants. They've beaten the Giants three times in the World Series, 11, 13, and 89. Wow, because obviously nationally you wouldn't even think that. That was, that was, that was, that was pre-last pandemic. Uh, I'll, 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 I'll excuse you for that one. I'll excuse you for that one. So, yeah, so uh, the, the Giants three times, the Cubs twice, the Orioles twice, and the Red Sox twice.
0: Yeah, the Orioles in the uh,
5: 70s. Yeah, the, the A's beat the Orioles in 73 and 74 in consecutive seasons. And then the Cubs was 1910 and then 1929.
0: That is phenomenal
5: knowledge right there. Cody, you remember it well. All right, question number five. Question number five. This, one, this, one, this one's a list. I'm asking you for a list of four. There are four A's pitchers with at least 1,000 strikeouts with the team since it moved to Oakland in 1968. So since 1968, four pitchers have recruited 1,000 strikeouts with the A's. How many can you name?
0: Uh, I'd go Catfish Hunter.
5: Catfish Hunter is correct, 1,139. I would go Vita Blue. Vita Blue is one, 1,315. Stay hot, kid. I would go Dave Stewart. Dave Stewart is two, 1,152. Finish me off. It's got to be one of the big three. It's got to be one of the big three. <laughs> I'm going to go Barry Zito. Barry Zito is correct. Barry ah! Zito struck out one thousand. 98 batters with the A's. Tim Hudson is fifth with 899. Mark Mulder is ninth with 668, sandwiched by Blue Moon Odom and Dennis Eckersley.
0: By the way, in modern-day baseball, going one for five, and it's a
5: home run, I've had a good day. You went two for five. I mean, you you went... You went four for four on this last question, so you, I'll give you some extra points there. You nailed the Nelson Cruz. You, you knew Mike Trout. Your 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 A's managing uh, knowledge a little bit uh, left a little bit to be desired. I think you were a little gun shy with the Miguel Tejada question at first. So that's about what I expected from you coming in. Usually, like, when I do these things on the radio, usually people are so like overwhelmed and shell shocked with how much I'm throwing at them. But you manage yourself well, and you uh, you you played a good nine. You played a good night.
0: Well, you, you, the thing about Dick Williams is that we forget he wasn't here for a long time. Yeah. And it was a lot of greatness, but he wasn't here. You know, it's where LaRusso was here for Bob Melvin, Connie Mack. You think of the guys that actually have stayed with the A's for years. You know, another guy that was here for a quick minute, uh, Billy Martin had success with the athletics, but it was
5: not long lasting. No. So the the, the leaderboard is Dick Williams at one, Ken Maka at two. He, He managed for four seasons. John McNamara for two seasons in the 69 and 70, then Tony LaRusso, who your guest was number five, Chuck Tanner in the 1976 season. So that's why for, for those win percentage or record leaderboards, it's usually the people that managed or played a fairly small amount of time uh, in the sun. So uh, well done. Uh, I was, I was, I, I, I was certainly not underwhelmed with your knowledge. I, I would say that that was, that was good enough to do for us to run that back sometime.
0: All right. So, you know, getting baseball back would be so huge for this country. And I've been talking to a lot of my friends and some of my friends, some of my female friends who are not baseball fans have even said, my God, if you put baseball on television right now, I would watch every game. I'd watch as much <laughs> as I possibly could. And I think it would really take baseball back to being our national pastime, helping us get through this pandemic. Because I think if they, if they launch at the same time as football, they'll get washed out. We need something. And, of course, it's got to be safe for the players and the people who will be working around the stadium. There won't be fans. We're starting to possibly see this in
5: South Korea. What do we know? So what we know is that South Korea, which has handled the coronavirus uh, probably the best among all developed nations. They've done what seems to be an extraordinary job of flattening the curve and what they've been able to do the baseball league as a result, which is only 10 teams. And obviously they're not traveling nearly as much as our guys would need to, but 10 teams right now, they're playing inter-squad scrimmages in front of no fans, empty stadiums. And those are televised. So you've probably seen some clips on Twitter with, you know, these, these teams playing themselves. And you've probably also seen, which is, I would describe it as jarring. These guys are playing with masks. These guys are playing baseball with masks on. And it's it's very strange to see. We, we showed the video this morning on Get Up. I think it really took a lot of people by surprise who haven't seen it because we're, it's something we're so not used to. One of the things that I like most about baseball is that you can see these guys' faces. It's one of the things that I think has has hurt baseball over the years and helped football in some sense is that we know what all these guys look like, right? But because of the safety precautions, this is what these guys are doing in Korea. And the, like the majority of them are. You'll see these guys lined up in the dugout. They're all wearing masks. So that's obviously – a jarring sight to see but right now because they sort of have this under control they, they are scheduled to begin their exhibition season on april the 21st what they're going to do is play six exhibition games during a span of time and if everything goes well launch their regular season sometime in may which i think in some sense is very encouraging the fact that somewhere somewhere else in the world we're going to be playing baseball i would say it's also a little bit Jarring or alarming because they've done a, a good job of, of, of curbing the, the uh, virus within their country, and they're also taking extraordinary precautions. Dan Straley, who you guys know well, uh, was was detailing to Jeff Passan that you know anytime you go into a stadium, they're checking everyone's temperature, and 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 they are they're doing it with this sort of advanced technology that is. Nothing like anything that I've ever seen. So if we're going to do this in this country, it's just going to take a the scale, the scope is going to be so extraordinary. But at least we have a blueprint. And to me, as a baseball fan who wants the game to be on TV so badly, I would say it's at the very least encouraging that a month from now we might be seeing professional baseball being played across the globe.
0: Yeah, I thought I had a crazy idea, and it's not so crazy anymore. But Cody and I discussed here about getting back to baseball and basically taking certain hotels. You know, whether my first idea was have teams that are the closest to each other just start playing each other. Right. So whether it be Anaheim and L.A., mix in San Diego and Arizona up here, A's and Giants. Then I thought, well, why don't we send everybody to Arizona and back to Florida, get these hotels and have them go in and do everything to the hotel and and make it so players can live there. Uh, you get extra buses for the players so there's separation and seats and all of that and then as you talked about mask gloves you know everybody gets dressed at the hotel they don't go into a clubhouse you know we never had clubhouses when we were in high school <laughs> you just you go in and you play and I, and I thought it was a crazy idea and now i know they're kind of looking at something similar to that to where you can find the living spaces, make sure the players are okay and get the games going again. Cause you know that the government wants some type of t- 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 distraction to get us away from, of all the horror that's going on and baseball could be that. So if we could do that, if we could play with mask and everybody wear gloves and no one high five and
5: let's get this going, I think it would be big for this country. Uh, yes, no question. It's, it's not any, any it's not really any different, um, than, than the reason we played baseball through World War One and World War II. Like that's, it's, it's a very similar dynamic. I think baseball has an extraordinary opportunity to explode, especially the television ratings. When we come back, like you said, people are going to be dying. People are going to be dying to watch baseball on television. I think your idea in principle makes sense. I think what, what needs to be avoided is travel. If we can avoid travel and you can have two locations in, in Arizona and Florida like we do in, in the spring, that settles a lot of questions. The hotel situation I think makes some sense. The question that the NBA people are dealing with that I've heard is how do you manage the players' families? Because are you, are you going to spend months away from your wife and kids during the middle of a pandemic? I think there's a lot of people that would be averse to that, especially players that already are set financially. Now, I would imagine a large chunk of players would play pretty much no matter what because they love the game and because they want the money. But if you can manage logistically to be able to do that, I think it makes a good bit of sense. What I think is very unlikely is the idea of having fans in attendance anytime soon. It's, very, yeah. it's just very difficult for me to imagine them allowing gatherings of, you know, 20,000 people anytime this year, frankly. It's very difficult to imagine. It might happen. I'm optimistic, but it, it's hard for that to imagine. But the idea of having those two locations, like you said, limiting the travel and, 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 and keeping players in some sense quarantined to at least their areas – it makes a lot of sense to me. The only catch is that you need really easy and and uh, available testing. If you don't have that, it makes it very difficult because you can't have these guys players sharing the virus amongst each other uh, like we saw in the NBA, like we've seen elsewhere, because of how contagious it is. If, you, if testing becomes available enough that everyone who's getting it can get it, I think it makes all the sense in the world. I think your idea is a smart one.
0: Well, and then I think about maybe just everybody go to Arizona because Florida – Unfortunately, in certain places that are hot spots right now, when they continue to have Mardi Gras in Louisiana, they continue to have spring break in Florida, things spread. Arizona and really like California right now, you know, we're starting to flatten the curve here in Northern California, which is good news. And Arizona was not a hot spot. Maybe you fly everybody to Arizona and you because resorts are empty. You could rent out resorts. You could rent out hotels. You bring in the people who know how to deal with these viruses and clean up the hotels and make sure uh, they're safe. And, and maybe it's air and, and, you know, you're getting in buses and everybody's being safe and maybe it just happens from Arizona.
5: There, there are enough, there are enough neutral site spots. And, and Arizona is a great place to choose based on the data that I've seen where you could do this. There's like, like you said, You have to be able to limit the travel. My question, though, to you would be this is I mean, there's, you know, 40 guys on a roster, 25 guys and 26 guys in a dugout. What if one guy gets it? Are you shutting the league down for two weeks? Like they said they're going to do in Korea, like the NBA had to do. What is the protocol for what if? Because you can do all this stuff. But if someone if someone goes out to to Arby's and gets it from the person that hands him his sandwich, then like those there's only you can only control so much. And part of me wonders if it's if it's not worth the squeeze, if there's so many variables for which you cannot account.
0: Yeah. And that's where those are the tough decisions that medical people will have to weigh along with uh, the heads of major league baseball and just, just hope at some point when we start to get a handle of this, that we're going to be able to, to, to just help ease. So many people who are on lockdown and think about your situation. You live in lower Manhattan right now, you're hunkered down in Philly at your (laughs) parents' house. I mean, some type of distraction other than Netflix and Hulu and books. And I'm tired of doing puzzles and I don't want to play Monopoly again, you know, and the buck, the Bucky Dent game was great, but now I want to see real baseball. Right. So <laughs> I mean, this, oh, hopefully we'll be able to get something going, but Hey, we always appreciate the time. Be safe. Tell mom and dad, we said, hello. Oh, you got it.
5: I'll, I'll say the same to my sisters as well.
0: Take care. Buddy. Demo, you're the best buddy. Take care. Be safe. Later boys. Tim, welcome back to A's Cast Live. We we really appreciate the time.
6: Well, it's my pleasure. How
0: are you guys doing? Uh, we're doing good. We've been hunkered down here in uh, Northern California for, for quite a while. And uh, kind of the good news about that is in Northern California, we're starting to flatten that curve because we've been on lockdown for so long. So it's been better news up here in Northern California.
6: Well, good news there. Thank goodness. Everyone just stay safe. These are difficult, trying times. So I'm glad to hear you guys are doing okay.
0: You know, I, I, I hate to start the interview with this because it's sad news because he was such a special man and he was a, a, a legend in our game. Mr. Tiger Al Kaline passed away today. I, I'm sure you knew him and you've had a lot of conversations with him. I, I had a great moment with him last year when the A's were in Detroit. It was just me and our engineer in our broadcast booth, and he came walking in and introduced himself, and, and he, I'm, I'm Al Kaline. I'm like, of course you're Al Everybody knows who you are. And uh, he had me go get baseballs, and he signed the baseballs for our community fund to give away and to help A's fans. And I just – he was such a gracious man with his time. And just, just talk about Al Kaline because not only was he a great person, he's one of the greatest players of all time.
6: Yes, and I knew him well. I wrote his obit for TV and his obit for ESPN.com. They'll both run any minute. Um, He's a great defensive right fielder. One, after Clemente, I guess you could probably make the case he's right there as far as the best defensive right fielders ever. He won two gold gloves. He had one of the greatest throwing arms I've ever seen. He got 3,000 hits. He played on championship teams. Uh, he had 399 homers without ever 30 in a season. That's the homers without a 30 homer season. But the most important thing was just the way he carried himself. I mean, it was always a rite of spring for me to go see him in Lakeland because he was always there. And the late, great Sparky Anderson told me years ago, he said, every day I see Al Line it's a better day. Because you'll never meet another person better than Al Kaline. And all of that is true. So the game has suffered a terrible loss.
0: What is so amazing is that in 1953, he came up at 18 years old. So basically, he graduates from high school, goes to prom, is barely in the minor leagues, And by 1953, he plays 30 games at 18 years old. And then the next year, he's a full-time big leaguer at 19 and plays all the way till he's almost 40. I mean, that's something that's almost unheard of to just leave high school. Next thing you know, you're in the big leagues.
6: Right. And he won a batting title as a 20-year-old. Think about that for a second. And he once told me, and one reason he was so good, is he was such a great athlete. And he told me once he was a better basketball player in high school than he was a baseball player. And he was going straight to pro ball from high school just shows you how good a basketball player he was. And when you're that kind of athletic, you can make adjustments on the fly. Few people did it better than Al Kaline. He's the greatest player. Uh, you know, who went through the public school or the school system in Baltimore ever. Babe Ruth went through a different system there, of course. But Al Kaline is gold standard as far as baseball players coming out of Baltimore. And it was very appropriate that he got his 3,000th hit at Memorial Stadium in 1974 off of Dave McNally, um, because that's where he grew up, Baltimore. And um, just a great, great man and a great, great player.
0: Yeah. He'll be missed. What a, what a Mr. Tiger. He, he was special. So president Trump meets with all the commissioners of all the different sports. He wants sports and the administration wants sports back as soon as possible when it is as safe as possible to help be a distraction for, from all the bad news. And I know when you, when you, when you lead a sport, you never want to be the first guy that goes into the pool. Right? So now looking at South Korea, As they're starting to practice, they're soon going to play games. How important is that for Major League Baseball to look at that so they may have a little more reassurance about starting up again, whether, I don't know, if it's July, August, whatever that date would be?
6: Well, that's very important, you would think. I mean, we've heard every rumor out there that if Japan, for instance, comes along and and solves this crisis, if that's the right term, Faster, We might end up playing some games in Japan. I'll believe that when I see it. We've heard so many wild rumors out there. But yes, as soon as sports are being played somewhere, team sports that involved some sort of contact, that has to bode well for everyone else to move forward. However, nobody is moving forward in this country until it is safe. And nobody should move forward until it's safe. And right now it's just difficult to think about a scenario that they'll be playing even June or July with the trouble we're all in right now. So let's, let's see how it goes in Korea. Let's see how it goes in other parts of the world and baseball will return when baseball is supposed to return. And I'm pretty sure not a minute before
0: that. So when baseball does return and it's a shortened season, it kind of brings some other teams back into the fold. I mean, you think of the favorites that we're going in, when it's the Dodgers or the Yankees, or it just seems like in a shortened season, what do you think about that to where guys or teams that you thought really didn't have a shot may be able to sneak up on some of the better teams if you're only playing 100 or 80 games?
6: Yeah, I, I think this really benefits uh, teams that aren't great right now. I mean, one of the greats, strengths of the Dodgers is their incredible depth and their strength at all these positions and all the pitching they have. They just wear you down at 162 games. You just can't beat them for that long of a stretch. Sparking Anderson used to always tell me, that's the reason we play 162 games because the season's so long, there are no excuses at the end. You end up where you belong in the end, always. But if you're only playing 100, or if you're playing 81 games, there's a chance a you know a team that's kind of a mild contender can really get hot for 50 games or 60 games, and then that can get them into the playoffs in a short season. Who knows? So I think this would indeed hurt these really great teams that just wear you down, uh, and it could help some smaller teams, smaller
0: market teams, also. And. Give me a couple teams that you think could be that underdog story.
6: Well, I'm intrigued by the White Sox. I mean, they they made a lot of moves in the offseason. They really upgraded that offense that they had to really upgrade that offense. And we'll see where it goes with Young pitching, Michael Kopech and others coming back eventually. Uh, But that's a team that could really surprise the Reds you know, a lot of people have them as the chic pick to win the central. At least it did before the season got postponed. But the Reds did some really nice things in their off season and at the end of last year to really upgrade their pitching. So I like what I saw from Cincinnati this spring. But again, none of this none of this matters until we know roughly when we're gonna play and what is the schedule gonna look like. We just gonna pick it up where we you know, where July 4th says or whatever. I mean, I don't think anyone, I know no one has the answers to all this because the big question, when are we starting? Nobody knows.
0: Yeah, that is true. And one suggestion that I've read and some people have thought about is if there was ever a time you want to experiment with the game, this would be the time. If you were commissioner... Would you, and, and there are some things that you wanted to tweak and change. What would that be, or would you say, no, nope, we're not trying anything new?
6: Well, I'm 63 years old, so I'm not sure I'm the right guy you should be talking to about this. <laughs> because I, I'm kind of set in my ways. In other words, I don't think we should play seven inning games. And I don't think we should have a home run derby to tie things or to settle things after 10 innings. I think we should play the way we've been playing for the last 150 years because we've done a pretty good job with that. Now, having said that, uh, doubleheaders don't bother me at all. I grew up watching doubleheaders. They were really cool. And I understand things have changed dramatically since the mid-'60s. But this is a place you could go to get some more games in. And as long as you protect the players, because that's union is going to demand – if you're going to play two double headers in a week, well, we're going to need more than 25 or 26 guys on the roster uh, in, to make sure nobody gets hurt. Because The union is very concerned about safety, as it should be, and they're going to make sure that in this truncated season, no matter what they do with it, there's no way they're just going to rush these players back and then cram as many games into a short amount of time. But I think double headers is something that can work. Uh, we'll see if that happens.
0: How much have you been enjoying watching these classic games on MLB Network? Well,
6: (laughs) I've been a little busy, frankly. I'm on this writing project that's taking all of my time these days. But to answer your question in general, um, I love old baseball games. I don't care if it's from the 50s or the 60s or the 70s or the 2019s. I think It's a really good look into how baseball was played when you watch, you know, when you watch the the Oakland A's play in the 70s or the Big Red Machine, or you watch the 86 World Series and see things, how they were done. And Oral Hershiser pitching in 1988. These, These are really interesting looks at how the catcher sets up and how the umpire calls a game and how quickly some things move and how things have changed so dramatically and how you know back in the 70s people were pitching to contact they wanted you to swing at it and hitters were up there trying to make contact and that's always been the thing that I've learned when I watch an old-time game is how quickly it moved I'm sure I told you guys in 1960 game seven of the World Series the Mazeroski game there were no strikeouts in that game And now we routinely have 20 strikeouts in postseason games all the time. That's the big change for me.
0: Yeah, and I even see sluggers who choke up, and they choke up with two strikes, and they make contact. And you mentioned the 70s, and I think it's great for a lot of our fan base and other people in baseball. They really forget, and we bring on Ray Fossey every single Wednesday, they really forget how good the A's were. When you look at the team coming over from Kansas City, they were young, they had a ton of talent, and they finally got over the Orioles, and then you're beating the Big Red Machine, you're beating the Mets, you're beating the Dodgers. That 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 era of A's baseball was real special, and a lot of people forget, or they just don't know how good those teams were.
6: Well, I do, because those guys were right in my wheelhouse when I was growing up. I was in my teenage years at that time, and... You know, they had Reggie Jackson and some big stars on that team, but as corny as it sounds, it was, it was the Dick Greens of the world on those teams that won games. Gene Tennis was a good player, but man, he had some great post seasons. And that's what, and they also had great pitching all the time, whether it was Catfish or Vita Blue or Ken Altman, and of course, Raleigh finger. So they, they did it the right way. They had uh, the right people and a really good manager most of the time. So, um, yeah, you can learn a lot watching how the Oakland A's played, especially 72 through 74.
0: Let, let's end on this, and this is something you'll never see again. Charlie Finley not only owned the team, but was running the team from Chicago. <laughs> That's something you'll never see again, Tim. Well, a lot of
6: things Charlie Finley did, will never see again. I just... I was looking, I'm re- this writing project I'm doing is I'm just looking at this date in baseball history through my own little personal lens. And Charlie Finley, Bavita Blues uh, holdout just ended the one of these days recently. <laughs> he held out and he ended up getting $63,000. That was his season contract, $63,000. And he had to hold out to get that because Charlie Finley wouldn't give it to him. Charlie did some really good things and innovative things for the game. But running something from Chicago, nothing would surprise me with what Charlie Finley did.
0: Well, we had Paul Hembakides on earlier, and he said, and he did some A's trivia with us, and he said, Buster only, not really good. Tim Kirchhen, he says you are the man when it comes to his baseball trivia.
6: (laughs) Well, Hembo's really, really good. I always have to be on my game with him.
0: Tim, we always appreciate it. I love reading you, love seeing you on ESPN. Be safe, and we'll talk to you hopefully down the line when this thing gets started. Okay, you guys be
6: safe also. See ya.
0: Is this the voice of Summer, Ken Korak? Mr. Townsend, how are you today? Welcome to our millennial technology.
4: Yeah, right. Hey, it's pretty cool, I think. It's a pretty good system you guys have devised there.
0: Yeah, we just had Jeff Levering on, who does play-by-play for the Brewers, and he was saying, he was like, yeah, this is this is really – and I'm like, this is the future. This is what everybody Yeah,
4: is no. Doing. No, it works out well.
0: Well, I've wanted to get voices on the air that are so familiar with A's fans because I think at this time we need to be a release for not only A's fans but baseball fans, and no one's voice is more recognizable than yours – And I just thought that it'd be important to bring you on just so A's fans can hear you and they feel
4: better. Well, thanks, Chris. And what you're doing over there with Cast, I think you performed a great service for A's fans and baseball fans in general because anything we can do to provide a little diversion, uh, a little fun, there's only so much of the news you can watch, I guess, during a day, right, Chris?
0: There's no doubt. I mean, you need a release. And, you know, until we get games going, Mm -hmm. how's everything in Vegas?
4: Things are fine. We're doing well. I haven't been to the Bay Area since uh, FanFest at the end of January, so we certainly missed that. And as far as the restrictions are concerned, it's very close to California, and right now it's just a matter of only essential businesses are open. So uh, the last time I really was out except to go to the market, things like that, exactly three weeks ago. So the 16th was the last day my wife and I really uh, ventured out, so it's very similar Uh, I'm sure, to what you've been going through with your family, too, Chris. (laughs) Yeah, no no doubt. And we've been on
0: lockdown for a while, but it's working. And that's what's good about Northern California right now. And that's what's good what's happening in South Korea. You know, this is going to be baseball sitting back and watching South Korea. You know, South Korea is now, they're starting to practice baseball. They're talking about Mm -hmm. opening up playing. (laughs) If they do it successfully, I think that's going to make it easier, don't you think, for baseball to, to, to maybe get going in whatever fashion how now they're going to do it. South, South Korea did it first.
4: Well, let's hope so, Chris, because baseball has a special place in our country, and our society. And I think if, if baseball can be played again this season, there's a symbolic aspect of that too, as I'm sure you're aware that it, it kind of signals a renewal that we've bounced back from this thing. But like Dr. Fauci said, uh, the virus will determine the timetable, but uh, we do have our fingers crossed that, that at least there may be some baseball later this year.
0: And I think for a lot of us, we're just so excited about this A's team, whether it's 162 or it's 100 or eight, no matter what, the amount of games. I, I think we really understand now how good this team is. And I can, I can tell the spring training, can that uh, this, team, this team's this team got a lot of confidence heading into this season whenever it starts.
4: Right, and I think that you and I have talked about this too, that this club can win a World Series. Now, I don't know when that is going to be or when they might have their best chance. They're a young club, and I think a lot of it depends on the young starting pitching, of course, but it is. And I mentioned this on a show earlier today, Chris. They have impactful players, and it's one thing to have good players, but if you have guys who can really impact the game and you go – all up and down the lineup, and also out on the field defensively. uh, They have exciting, young, talented, but more than anything, more importantly, impactful players on their club.
0: Yes, they do, and I think they got uh, potentially a couple – future MVPs, especially on the corner. Um, I don't know if you've been following baseball reference, but they're they're doing the simulated season. So they're playing these games. And so far, uh, Marcus Simeon has six home
4: runs in like 10 games. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, if you're into war and things like that, those kinds of uh, metrics, he had an incredible war. And he used to talk about MVPs. Um, he was right up there this year in the balloting, and at first and third they have candidates. And I think if you look on into the future, I think Ramon Laureano has a chance to be a real star as well.
0: Well, and then you know you mentioned the young pitchers. Yeah, if you're gonna have a season that's like a hundred games. There's going to be no reason to have innings limits anymore on these young guys. I'm kind of hoping that it's just going to be, Hey, AJ Puck. Hey, Jesus Lazardo, take the ball every five days and give me what you got.
4: Yeah. We'll see how that plays out too. I mean, if they do, if, if the season starts at some point, Chris, you're going to have to have a condensed schedule, which may mean more double headers and that will also uh, help define the team that has the best depth in their starting rotation too. So, you might need to have seven or eight starters if you have six or seven good starters that would really bode well
0: yeah I think we're gonna have expanded rosters because of I do to, too. yeah I don't think we're gonna I don't think we're gonna have many days off and with these double headers and that's one thing you know can the players union will love that
4: well yeah and if they're talking about 29 players Chris and again let's just let's hope it happens let's hope we have a chance to talk about it. Uh, something like this. But the other thing is you're not going to have the kind of sprint training that you normally would have. It would be summer training, I guess, now. And so I, I can't see that pitchers would be stretched out enough to start the season and go real deep into games. That would be another reason why you'd like to have a a, a longer roster to start the season at least.
0: Have, have you been watching any of the classic games?
4: I have, yeah. In fact, they, they were showing the 87 World Series today um on mlb network the cardinals and uh the twins so it's been fun to go back and watch some of these games and also hear the broadcasters like uh the announcing team for this series was al michaels and tim mccarver and jim palmer and it's pretty tough to top that that was a pretty good uh, crew they had there
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i was uh i had to go to the grocery store and I was listening to Sirius XM, the uh, MLB channel, and it was an old Yankee game. I don't know who they're playing, but it was Mel Allen. And I'm like, I have heard his voice. Of course, the great voice of This Week in Baseball. Uh, But Mel Allen doing a Yankee game, it was awesome.
4: Yeah, no, he was an excellent play-by-play guy. He was the voice of the Yankees, excuse me, Chris, for many years. And then was unceremoniously fired. It really broke his heart. It was a stunning thing. Then he came back. I'd imagine the game that you heard might have been when he actually came back for the Yankees for a second round and did some games on cable TV, I think, uh, back then as well. To me, the the World Series, I always think about. Now, beside a Vin Scully uh, series and playing some of the old Dodger games was fun, but 1968 uh, when you had Ernie Harwell for the Tigers and you had Jack Buck with the Cardinals. I mean, that was some classic-sounding play-by-play.
0: Now, people have asked me, "Can you just do a little bit of your mm-hmm. Vin Scully?"
4: Well, hi everybody, and a very pleasant good evening to you wherever you may be. <laughs> That's just a little slice, right?
0: I was because te- I was telling Cody, I'm like, I'm like, Ken Korak does a phenomenal Vin Scully, but he never does it on the air. He only do- it's like only <laughs> entertain us in between innings.
7: I don't know that it's
4: that good, right? I mean, it's the best I've got. Dodger baseball. <laughs> well, Farmer John. <laughs> <laughs> you know,
0: it's like these guys. You, you know, think...
4: did you see Did you see that, you know, he was interviewed by Bill Plaschke in the L.A. Times. And Plashkey recorded it. And they played the, the audio on YouTube. And then I think it might have been last week where Vinny recorded a message to the Dodger fans. And that would be appropriate for any fan or anybody in general. Uh, dealing with all that the country and everybody around the world is is having to deal with now, and it was just a great comforting message just to hear his voice.
0: Would you say he's the biggest Dodger of all time?
4: I think they took a poll and asked Dodger fans. This was years ago, maybe twenty years ago, to to name to determine your like top three Dodgers of all time in the history of the Dodgers in L.A., which of course began in '58. And Vinny won the balloting. I mean, he was he has been considered the the most popular, most important Dodger, um, in, in, at least in the L.A. era, uh, for sure. I mean, you could there are a lot of other people that would be candidates, but I think that Vinny was number one.
0: Well, yeah, and we were just talking to Jeff Levering of the Brewers as we're breaking down. He works East. with Uke. <laughs> yeah, Bob Uker, 50 years but, but like I, I told our audience, I said, I want everybody to go on YouTube and I want you to watch Johnny Carson and Bob Euchre because Carson was king and Euchre was on there almost 100 times on The Tonight Show, which was the number one show. You think of the movies he's been in. I mean, Bob Euchre is a big deal.
4: Huge deal. And he was he's still active. He still does the home games for the Brewers. He's well up in it. Like in his mid-80s, it still sounds great. The other thing, I, I know you're going to mention this, you may have already. Speaking of players synonymous with the franchise, really sad day around baseball, Chris, and yeah. especially in Detroit, to learn of the passing of Al Kaline today. Yeah,
0: I was telling the story when when I was filling in for you about how it was just the engineer and I in our in our booth, I don't know where Vinny was, all of a sudden Al Kaline appeared said, How you doing? My name's Al Kaline. And I'm looking at him like, I I know who you
4: are, Mr. Kaline. Well, that's the way he was. That is the way. He was the embodiment of class. You'll never hear anybody say a bad word about Al Kaline. I mean, as great as a player as he was, he had over 3,000 hits. He won a batting title. After all, at the age of 20 in 1965, he might have been a better person.
0: He had me go get baseballs. And he signed. So I went down to Voos and said, you're not gonna believe this, but Al Kaline wants to sign baseballs for us for our community fund. So I got all these baseballs. And the next day he showed up again and signed all the baseballs for our community fund. And I went, what superstar comes in and offers, hey, I'll sign a bunch of balls and you can take them back to Oakland. Like I never I no one's ever done that. I was like I was amazed.
4: No, I know. And that's the way he was. He did that for a lot of people. People throw around the word legend or the the term legend kind of loosely now. He was really a legend. I mean, if you think about somebody who had that legendary, was revered in Detroit, all those accolades uh, very much deserving by K-Line.
0: And we talked to Tim Kirchner earlier today because he knew him real well, going, he played 30 games at 18 years old. So basically he graduated high school. Was barely in the minor leagues, and then was. I don't think he ever play- played in the minors. I, I really honestly,
4: I don't think he ever played a game in the minor leagues.
0: That's that's a, that's stunning to be in baseball I right know. after high school.
4: Yeah, and win a batting title in the American League when you were twenty years old. Can you imagine?
0: No, I can't. I can't imagine someone being. I mean, we've seen like King Griffey Junior. Come up at nineteen. But, I mean, to do it, I, Mike Morgan actually for the A's left high school and was pitching. It, did, it didn't work out well. But the fact that Al Kaline left high school and he's in the big leagues is just stunning to me.
4: And he was a great right fielder. And Tiger Stadium was a tricky right field to play. And he had a great arm. He did everything. Uh, he was a 5 tool player.
0: All righty. We appreciate you stopping by. I, I think it was really good for the fans just, just to hear your voice, to make uh, give a little normalcy and uh, – Hope all is well in Las Vegas, and hopefully we're going to be seeing you soon.
4: Well, thanks, Chris, and thanks, you know, all you guys. What you're doing on Ace cast, I think, is really important for the Ace fans and baseball fans in the Bay Area. So keep it up, man. Keep up the good work. Ernie. how are you?
0: Hey, Chris, what's up, man? How are you? I've been enjoying getting my snow updates from you on Twitter up there in Tahoe.
8: Well, that's the uh... – <laughs> I, that's the—I I guess you could say—the service that I'm able to provide to humanity here at this point.
0: <laughs> and then and then and then the whole story about Sparky and hit ninth—that was that—that that was a beauty. That was a classic.
8: You know, it's funny is that that's it's Sparky's favorite story, and and the truth of the matter is, I actually went in there, and it wasn't just like, "Hey, man," like you know, there must be a mistake. Like, I said, night. And he's like, yeah, knife. I go, Sparky, effing knife? And it was, it was it was one of the most epic exchanges ever. But, you know, I, I think the kind of moral of that story, that a lot of it, is that you got to have a belief in yourself. You know, that's one thing where it was like, you know, I would have said later in my career or whatever, like we all get humbled. But, you know, to think that, I would go into say Bob Melvin's office late in my career and be like, dude, how am I possibly hitting eighth today? Right? Like that. I wouldn't have ever done that. But when you're young and, and a little ignorant and a little arrogant and to have that confidence to go in there and say, Hey man, like this is nah I'm better than this. Um and and it basically Sparky's response was, Oh yeah, well go go out and prove it.
0: Yeah. Hey, at least you're not hitting tenth. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
8: <laughs> oh, that's the truth, dude. That is the absolute truth.
0: You, you know, you're the only guy that I haven't had on from the top 50. And and I remember that I said, you're the, the crowd, you're running a little bit late that day. And we never got to talk to you about that. That was a big honor. It was great when you got announced and you came running out. And I think that's the thing that it was an A's fans vote. A's fans have always loved you. And I was telling the story before you came on. I think the reason why is I never got cheated when I watched you. I knew that every single game you played, you were bringing it. And fans really appreciate that.
8: Yeah, I think I was able to relate to a lot of fans. I I think it's, you know, maybe there's a few different elements um, that you add in. And the fact that, you know, it's from the Bay Area. Um, and I think probably most of all, you know, I sort of looked like your everyday Joe, right? The guy that you might still be able to see in like a Sunday league playing. Uh, but I just happened to be playing, you know, major league baseball. And, you know, on top of that, I don't think there was anything that I ever did that was pretty. Um, and it's funny cause you look back on it now, I look back on it now and I, I think there's probably, you know, part of that, that were, that was endearing. Um, You know, and then not to mention the fact that, you know, look, man, like I, it wasn't perfect for me. Like my ride wasn't perfect. It wasn't, um, I wasn't a a top prospect that came up and and was was handed the keys to the Ferrari and say, hey, man, go ahead and have yourself a, um, you know, Hall of Fame career. It it was, no, you got to come out here and you got to work for every one of your starts. Um, you know even then I'm not going to guarantee you that that you're going to play the next day Um, you know I definitely you know went through some really uh, really awesome hot streaks where I think that I was able to contribute to um, a lot of wins and at the same time I also think that you know I had my failures Um, and you know as much as I think we all want to run from them uh, and hide from them you know I think for the most part it's you know, it's the failures in our life um that are are the things that, that teach us the biggest lessons and you know mainly it's 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 how to respond because you know we're all gonna we're all gonna deal with the with, with I mean, just look go further the situation that we're in right now. Um but it's it, it's how are you gonna let that affect um you going forward and, and it's we can't control things that happen to us but we can't control our response. So um I, I think that, you know, because I had you know, two awesome parents that that raised me the right way. I think I've always uh, been able to respond appropriately, Um, you know, and then the times I haven't, I think I was able to learn, um, you know, from that as well.
0: You know, we we got a lot of time to reflect right now since we're not playing. And we've been looking at a lot of A's history. And I think of your time with the A's and, you know, talking to a lot of your, your teammates, it was a very good era of A's baseball. It was a ton of winnings. It was a ton of classic games. And I know you guys were, for the most part, a real tight – you guys were were pretty tight. You were a tight-knit group. Talk about your time with the A's. And there was a lot of good years in there.
8: Yeah, just a lot of really good guys. Um, You know what's interesting is, like, so the Moneyball thing comes up all the time, right? And a friend of mine just watched it the other night for for the first time and and basically had all sorts of questions and – um, you know, when I get asked, like, you know, what, you know, was that what it was really like? And, you know, my response is they're like all most Hollywood movies that are, are based on, on real life events and true stories. I like, there's a, a ton of BS garbage in there. Right. There's this ton of stuff that's just like, no, nah, that just, no, that didn't happen. No. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. But there's also a ton of truth. Um, and so, you know, looking back and say, let's just say Moneyball ball like the one thing that I'm not sure that they captured the right way was the closeness of the guys, right? Like, like it takes a special tight-knit group of dudes to be able to go out there and, and win 20 consecutive games. And, you know, essentially it, it got to the point where, like, nobody cares – who gets the credit? Now, you could also make a case that, well, they did kind of show that. Um, it's, I think that's when when you talk about having a winning team at, at a professional level, you really, uh, there's a certain element of guys driving other guys, right? So they're driving them with the performance, which obviously the big three did. But you know, beyond those dudes, everyone always says, you well, know, why did they mention the big three or very little mention of them in Moneyball? It's like, well, dude, I mean, what about Corey Lytle? I mean, that, that dude, was, if I'm not mistaken, was our, was our best pitcher during during that time. And so, um, you know, but that was driven by Hudson, Mulder, and Zito literally taking the ball every fifth day, and they're chasing, trying to do what the guy, you know, before them did. So as much as there was, you know, this togetherness and in, in 23 out of 25 guys going out to dinner um, and, 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 and maybe hitting the town for a little bit, um, there was also this competition um, that you saw, I mean, it, even with the card games on the planes, right? Like, it, it just, it never stopped. You know, had dudes that loved to compete, and you had guys that genuinely liked each other, and then you also, you didn't have that backstabbing sort of element um, of of guys that, you know, I, I mean, I, geez, I felt it several times through the course of my career. It's awful uh, where you literally have guys rooting for other guys to fail. Um, And that, that wasn't the case with, uh, with that group uh, for the most part. And and especially with that 2002 team.
5: You
0: know, speaking of the movie, I've gotten to know Grady Fuson real well. And we had him on when I was down at spring training. And I think of Grady and I think of Art Howe. If there were, if there was anybody who was done dirty, it was Grady and it was Art Howe.
8: You know what's funny? Grady, but here's the thing with that. And and I'll make a. uh, I I will make an argument that, look, man, Grady stood up for himself. Like, Grady's like, you know what? Screw you, Billy. Like, if this is how you're going to be, this is like, I'm not working for this. Like, this isn't. And it wasn't. And I think part of it, too, was that, like, Billy's flawed, man. Like, they showed his flaws. Like, even Brad Pitt's character, like, He's he a, he a flawed dude, and, and yes, and ultimately he was right in, in, in a lot of ways, but I think Billy even would admit to uh, you know, both of us that, look, man, there were, so, there were some times um, you know, that he had to work through his emotions uh, in, in, in being overreactive, and the same way I did. Like, you know, Billy and I had a, a couple of just epic blow-ups. Uh, at each other. I mean, you know, obviously I wanted to play and, and, and he had his algorithms and um, everything else that, you know, and, and, and you know, a lot of times when you make moves as a general manager, you want to try to uh, validate those moves. And so, you know, no matter what it is, so Billy wasn't afraid to try different options. Um, and then that's when, you know, him and I would say would have disagreements. Um, you know, I'll give you an example with, uh, geez, was 2000. I think it was it was 2002 when I got sent down um, right before spring training. It was like, you know, 2001, I, I played really well in Sacramento for the limited time I was there. I went up and down a number of times between the big leagues and uh, AAA, and then I ended up going to Dominican, and I won the MVP award there. It was the first American in like 20 years to do it. Went to spring training, didn't get off to a great start, and then the last week of spring training, I hit three or four homers and it was like, okay, phew. You know, I kind of solidified my place on the team. And I ended up getting sent down. And, you know, part of that, you know, was what Billy said. He's like, dude, you had one walk and fifty plate appearances in spring training. And that was that was one of his things. You know, and then the other one is the fact that I believe it was Mike Colangelo who was a rule five draft pick. And so in order to to justify either whether he was a rule five draft pick or a minor league agent sign, you know, Billy, I think took a lot of pride um, in, whether it was, you know, Frank Manacchino or Hatterberg or, or Colangelo or whoever it is trying to, trying to make these things work out. Right. And I don't blame them for that either. Um, So anyway, the whole, the whole thing was, I just think really interesting. Um, And, and even with Art Howe, like, Art didn't really give in to Billy either. So art so showing Art who is Philip Seymour Hoffman, you know, being like, Hey man, I'm gonna get dis- Billy, I see what you're trying to do, but I'm gonna do what I'm gonna do and Pena should be playing. Well the, the ironic thing of all this is like Pena was five times the player that Hatterbird was, right, when it was all said and done. So Art was actually right in that situation. Um so anyway, there's just there's different elements, and, and, and I know people say that Grady and Art both got, you know, the, the bad end of the deal. Uh, look, you can't go up against Brad Pitt, right? No, no matter what, like, you're trying to challenge Brad Pitt. It's not going to work, and you're not going to come out looking perfect. But, but as a matter of fact, I, I really didn't think it was that bad.
0: You know, a lot of players right now are on lockdown. And they're telling you, don't go outside the house, stay inside. Only essential businesses are open. What would you do as a player under what we're dealing with now to, to, to keep sharp and be ready to go when the bell actually gets rung?
8: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see what happens when these guys come back and how much of prep time that they're going to have,
0: be it a week or
8: two weeks, um, you know, maybe last is to get him in shape to, to get playing again. So I, I think the biggest thing is just to make sure um, that, you know, you're moving every, every single day. So you're running, uh, you know, you're doing your sprint work. Uh, you're, 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 you're taking swings. Ideally you 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 have access to some sort of hitting machine. You know, my favorite was an iron mic. I, w- I would crank that bad boy up to, you know, as fast as it can go and, and, you know, you can even get closer to it to simulate the velocity um, to, to get your hands ready. You know, I mean, baseball is such a weird sport. You know, it's one of those sports, too, that it's not very easy to take extended time off. Now, I'm just going to, you know, speak from a hitter's perspective and then jump back into it. And I just say that because, you know, the, the, it's so complex hitting the baseball and the, the basically the connection between the body and the mind and the eyes, right. for To be able to, um, you know, see a ball that's coming at you at damn near a hundred miles per hour and, and, and have the proper reflexes to hit it. And then you added the two seamer and the cutter and the slider and a changeup and a split finger and everything else. And it's just like, yeah, good luck, man. So I think that's, that's most likely going to be um, the most difficult thing as a pitcher. I got to imagine it'd be easier um, you know, to stay, it's just tough to simulate uh game speed, it's, it's tough to simulate that that feeling that you get when you get the you know the third deck up there and, and you're pitching in a big league stadium. Now, <laughs> that said, who knows if uh that's going to be the case uh when they do come back and you know as far as where they'll be playing, uh, but it, it should be interesting.
0: Let's end on this love you on MLB Network. A uh, new part of your career is television. And like when you're on MLB now, and, and you're getting after it with Brian Kenny, it's just great stuff. What has this part of your career been like for you? Now the TV gig.
8: Well, you know what's funny? It's it's um, something that similar to baseball. Like it's something I always had passion for. So I, I've always I've always loved uh, debating sports, and and there are two things I wanted to do when it, with my life when I was a kid. I even wrote a paper about it in the eighth grade. And, you know, number one was to play professional sports. and Number two was to go on the radio and talk about professional sports. And so, um, you know, I grew up listening to uh, Pete Franklin and Ralph Barbieri and, uh, you know, my, my thing was, man, I bet that's, that, that was stimulating for me. So to be able to uh, transition, you know, into the broadcasting game and, um, you know, it was really cool. And then I've also been very fortunate to, I got into doing endurance sports and whatnot, and um, actually uh, we have our second um, documentary coming out uh, tomorrow night all about a journey that I did across the country that started actually in Oakland during that mascot race. It's co- sort of the kickoff of it, but it's called Let Them Play, a triathlon across America. It was supposed to go out into hundreds of theaters across the country um, in April, but because obviously of everything that's going on right now, that's not going to happen so we decided instead of pushing it back, you know, even a few more months, we're like, you know what, screw it. Let's, uh, people are, people are starving for content right now. Let's give it to them. So, uh, tomorrow actually it's let them play film.com. Just go to that website and be able to stream it. It's a pretty cool adventure all about, you know, really kind of getting kids outside, getting them playing again and the lack of youth activity at this moment. And, um, you know, kind of our quest to, uh, to, to change things around.
0: Say that again one more time where we can see it.
8: It's a let them play And then it'll also be up on Vimeo. So probably about first 45 days is, is it's going to live on Vimeo, And then on this website, let them play um, And then the, uh, after that most likely is when we'll be on Apple TV and all the other ones, but to get it up, as quickly as possible vimeo was our our best option and um yeah i mean it's 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 a really cool film i mean i've obviously had the opportunity to, to see it a few times and we've done uh a few different screenings um but yeah there is that i don't know if if you saw it dude but there is that epic mascot race that actually it's at the very beginning of the movie so there gets the uh there's a, nice, there's a nice little uh, Oakland Oakland element uh, to the whole
0: thing uh, at, at the start. Which Hall of Famer were you?
8: Oh, I was racing them. You got oh, to see this vid, man. This is <laughs> this is that. I gave it everything I had. It was, um, you know, obviously the standard ones that they had, What are the Raleigh fingers and Ricky and uh, Eckersley? Yeah, yeah. It, and then I had I had to I had to chase them down from behind. So. <laughs> I mean, if you yeah, if, that that, that, alone, that alone will be worth uh, buying the movie. And then uh, percentage of the proceeds obviously go to the Let Them Play Foundation. Um, and then specifically, we created a, a Let Them Play Foundation COVID-19 fund, which we are going to raise money and um, to help out the kids of the um, health service workers uh during this time just to make sure they they have all the right equipment and everything else and that's been the best part about creating foundation is that we everything's so grassroots and we're really small but we've been able to make a tremendous impact with um the money we have been able to raise
0: well we'll promote it for you and when you said pete franklin i remember when i got my first job at kmbr and pete franklin with up yours dallas up yours it was a legend. Oh,
8: oh, you know, hilarious. I and mean, then the the toilet flush is the thing yeah. that, uh, that I think I think got me. That that's when I'm like, dude, I need to, I I need to do this with my life. Like, this is what I want to do. I want to flush people down the toilet. So when I worked for KBR for uh, a little bit, I actually brought the, the toilet flush
0: back. Ah, oh, hey, great stuff. We always appreciate the time. Be safe up there in Tahoe. And we'll talk to you soon.
8: Chris, thanks, man. I appreciate you having me on, man.
0: Well, he's a two-time World Series champion. He's a St. Louis Cardinals Hall of Famer and one of the great voices of the game. Mike Shannon is with us here on A's Cast Live as we're going to preview the St. Louis Cardinals. Mike, thank you so much for the time. We truly appreciate it.
7: Well, it's my pleasure. It's really my pleasure. We have a a situation now where uh, we've never, you know, I've been there before because... uh, I had to shut my myself down when, when I became uh, uh, stricken with a, a disease called uh, nephritis. So that was taken away from me when I was 30 years old. And I've had to stop baseball. So I've been through this once before and a couple of times. And then also, you know, in 1964, we came from uh, way back in the latter part of September and we we went on to win the World Series from the world from the uh, World Champion uh, Yankees. We, we won there in '64, and then we won again in '67. We beat the Red Sox, and then in '68, the Tigers beat the Cardinals. And I was involved in all three of those World Series, so it was uh, very enjoyable.
0: You know, I got to say, and actually MLB Network had uh, one of your games yesterday on from 1968 when you were taking on the Tigers. I think one thing what a lot of us baseball fans have truly enjoyed is watching baseball from a different time. And I grew up actually in San Diego, and they played the uh, 84 World Series between the Tigers and the Padres. And just remembering, you know, Alan Trammell and – and Morris up against Tony Gwynn. I mean, Jack Morris, the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's been a lot of fun watching these old school games. Have you had a chance? Did you get a chance to see yourself yesterday on MLB Network from 1968?
7: Yeah, I, I was fortunate enough to see that, the sixth game. And, of course, I was uh, uh, very moved when the LK line passed. He was 85 years old. And uh, here's a guy that came out of uh, high school right to the big leagues, okay? And and I had a nice talk with him. Uh, with him at one time. And uh, I, I didn't realize that one of the people that was involved in the game involved him was Johnny Pesky. I didn't realize that Johnny Pesky was on that team. And he said to me that he was the only guy that helped him. He said the rest of the people that he came out of high school and he took a, he took a spot away from uh, uh, one of the players and, and he was a favorite player of of, of the team and uh, they didn't like him at all, so they didn't help him. And The only guys that did help him was Johnny Pesky, and and I played for Johnny Pesky just a year before he went to the uh, the big leagues to become the uh, manager of the Boston Red Sox, and I almost became a a Red Sox in a trade there, but the Cardinals didn't trade me, and uh, I went on and played in those three World Series in 64, 67, and 68.
0: Yeah, I actually got to meet Al Kaline last season when the A's, I was with the A's in Detroit, and I got to meet him, and, and, and what, a, what a wonderful man. He was so kind and gracious, signed balls uh, for the A's Foundation, our community fund, and you just think Mr. Tiger, and as you said, went from basically graduating high school, goes to prom, graduates from high school, and at 18 years old is in the big leagues. That's just, that's just incredible.
7: Yeah, I was very surprised uh, when he told me that Johnny Pesky was on that team and that Johnny Pesky was one of the only people that helped him. And, of course, he went from there out of high school right into uh, uh, the Hall of Fame. I mean, he was just a great player. Not only – he he had everything. He was a five-tool player. But another thing that he had – he had those great instincts that a Hall of Famer has – defensively I can remember in the 68 world series, I hit a line drive in the right center and I was headed for second base with a double. I looked up and there he was. He, he caught the ball without hardly any moving. He just knew where to play and how to play. And he was a wonderful person, but you're, you're right. Not only was he a great ball player, but he was a great person. And he was such a humble guy and such a very intelligent uh, player also.
0: Well, speaking of a great player, You know, reading up on you and studying you, uh, there's belief that you were a better football player than you were a baseball player, and that you could have played professional football.
7: Well, I had to make the decision to uh, pick one or the other, all right? And it was fortunate enough that baseball was so much ahead of uh, the National Football League at the time, and they had a Kitchen plan. They had everything. And then when I see those guys coming off the field in uh, in modern age now, that I I took the right (laughs) I took the right way to go because these these guys, you know, Dan Devine was a great friend of mine, and uh, he came from uh, Arizona and took over for the guy that recruited me at the University of Missouri. And people don't realize that. there was five high school all-americans in the backfield recruited by a guy that went from the University of Missouri to the uh to the University of Arkansas and then he became a member of a uh, uh, of the uh Great Golf Tournament in, in Augusta, Georgia and uh <laughs> you know you'll never get to admit it, anyone but if you look at look back at the uh, that year in 19 uh well, 58 Uh, He went from uh, the University of Missouri into uh, the University of Arkansas and then went from uh, uh, the University of Arkansas as a coach, a football coach, and then he went to uh, the the running all of sports, and he became a great leader in the uh, world of uh, college athletics, Frank Broyles.
0: Oh, yeah, no doubt about it. And, you know, when I think about your time with the Cardinals, before we get into the 2020 Cardinals, Your time with the Cardinals. I mean, you think of all the winning, the tradition, all the great players, all the Hall of Famers. Uh, What's it like, you know, basically your entire life being around this great franchise, truly one of the great franchises we have in American sports?
7: Well, I was very fortunate because uh, I knew Stan Musial because uh, Stan Musial's son, Dick Musial, played on – Uh, the football team at at CBC uh, High School in uh, St. Louis, the Christian Brothers uh, High School. And it was a a great pleasure to know Stan Musial at the time. And then I wound up playing in the big leagues with Stan Musial. And it was funny because, you know, Musial hit uh, over 300 the year before he retired. And so the press was asking, Stan, how come you're retiring? You hit over 300. And he said, well, he said, when your teammates or your your kids' playmates, it's time to retire. <laughs> and I got the biggest kick out of that because that was true, you know. To, to be able to think that I got to play with Stan Musial in the big league. And I never will forget, uh, I one day we're in Chicago. It was the last year Musial was going to play, and he had announced to everyone along the way that he was going to retire after the season. And so, consequently uh, – Johnny Keene, who was our manager, he came to me and he said, hey, Mike, he said, "Uh, uh, Musial's not going to play today, so you're going to play left field. Well, I was tickled to death because I was a rookie and I got to play a game, start a game. So I go out to left field and there's a guy out in the bleachers. He said, hey, Shannon, he said, where's Musial? I said, well, he's not playing today. He's tired. He said, you mean I drove 750 miles to watch you play left field? (laughs) And I felt so bad against him. He had about a 10-year-old son with him and you can imagine him drive, driving 750 miles to watch Stan Musial's last game at Wrigley Field and he he, he couldn't, he, all along that drive he was probably telling his son about that, about Stan Musial and what a great player he was and he was a, a, a superior player. He was so much like Al Kaline, it was un, unbelievable.
0: Yeah, the fact that he had the exact same amount of hits at home and on the road, Tells you That's all right. you need to know about Stan Musial, Stan the man. and I, I was at the Hall of Fame in 1999, and uh, Stan was still alive. And I remember we were standing outside the night, uh, Saturday night, when all the players came up, all the Hall of Famers, and they have that dinner, and they brought him up on trolley cars. And Stan got out of his trolley car in front of all of his baseball fans and played the harmonica for us. It was uh, <laughs> It was truly amazing. Let's talk about the uh, 2020 Cardinals because last year they got back into the postseason. They went to the all-star break at 44 and 44. But then in the second half, they just went nuts at 47 and 27. What do you like about the Cardinals going into 2020 once we start this thing?
7: Well, it's the same thing that I saw in uh, 2019, and that was – their manager Mike Schultz, I used to talk to him uh, after the game. I'd say, Mike, I said, you're you're better base runner, you're better defensive, you're better this, you're better that, but it doesn't show on the bottom line. He said, Yeah, I know. He said, I I I, I lose sleep at night because of that. But he had the patience to stay with that, and it all came together. And, and he believed in those players, and those players finally believed in themselves after all this long walk. And that's the same thing that I am looking forward to in 2020 because of uh, the manager, Mike Schultz. He's a phenomenal guy.
0: Well, you know, manager of the year in the National League and obviously, you know, a guy that never played pro ball, the first guy ever to win the award who didn't play pro ball. Fundamentals. It kind of reminds me of Bob Melvin in the A's. One of the hallmarks of the A's right now is their great defense. And people want to talk about home runs and all this. It's defense. And I think about the Cardinals last year. The Cardinals only made 66 errors. That was the fewest. In Major League Baseball, the 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 big thing for the Cardinals, they play fundamental baseball and they play great defense.
7: Well, you know, it's all because of the first baseman. It's a phenomenal that that he made the rest of the infield so much better. You know, we have a defensively, they were outstanding. And as you say, they made the fewest errors. Their defense was better. Their base running got better. Everything got better. And it's because of Mike Schogan. He had his patience to win. And I, I think that's going to really be the key to the Cardinals' success again this year.
0: You know, when you think of Carlos Martinez, who had the shoulder issue and then went to the bullpen. Do you see him being in the rotation? I and mean, because his stuff is, is absolutely electric.
7: Well, there's no doubt about that. And I asked Mike Schultz about that. He said that, that Carlos came to him and he said he wanted to be a starter. And he says, okay, show me that you can start in spring training. And, of course, spring training was cut short. And so I, I think that the people that are ahead in this game of baseball with, the, with this shutdown – they're going to find time to, especially especially the teams that that rely on the electronics. I think they're going to be so much smarter than they're going to be a lot more ready for the season to begin than other than other organizations. And I think the A's are one of those, and I think the Cardinals are one of those. These teams that are shut down right now, and the so-called uh, what they call economics and, and, and what they call the, uh, the electronics of the game it's going to be the, the the organizations that are spending this time with the electronics of the game that are going to be so much more prepared I believe
0: and one guy who really could benefit from this shutdown and the cardinals could benefit is jordan hicks coming back from tommy john mm-hmm. surgery you know you're wondering who's going to close at the start of the season but you know, and you knew Jordan Hicks is going to come back probably somewhere in summertime. If we're going to get this game going again, let's say on July 1st or mid-July, that's when Jordan Hicks was going to come back. That could really benefit the Cardinals from a, from a standpoint that, you know, Hicks, when we start this thing, Hicks may be, may be ready to go.
7: Well, And again, it's going to take on one of the uh, important parts of Cardinal baseball, and that's pitching, okay? And another thing that you mentioned before, pitching and defense have been winning World Series and pennants for a long, long time, and it will continue to, uh, you know, the game has changed so much, and they talk about uh, the home run, the strikeout, this and that, and so forth and so on. But look at the teams that win. And they're the teams that have uh, pitching and defense. It's won for 100 years. It'll win for the next 100 years, pitching and defense. And that's what the Cardinals had last year. And that's why the patience paid off because of Mike Schultz, the manager. And it's going to be the same for uh, 2020 when when it all gets back together again.
0: Mike, thank you so much for coming on and talking a little Cardinal baseball. You're a legend in our sport. It's an absolute honor to have you on the program. Be safe, and we'll talk to you later on during the season.
7: Well, thank you, sir. It's a real pleasure. And We, we lost a great one in, uh, in a guy named George, and he taught a lot of fellas. He taught Mike Schultz, the manager, okay? And that's going to all pay off down the road where, where we're going to have the Cardinals and the A's back in the World Series together. Now, that
0: would be great. (laughs) That would be great. We would love it. Thank you, Mike. Take care and be safe.
7: All right. God bless you. Thank you. Everybody out there, be safe.
0: Carlos, it's great having you on the program once again. Thanks for coming on. We truly appreciate it.
9: Chris, it's always a pleasure, man. Uh, Always fun talking ball with you.
0: Yeah, and this is a great release for our, our, our fan base and for all the Major League Baseball fans here in Northern California. Obviously, being a former A, you played here, you know the area. So it's great to have you on. And one key question is, you know, we've seen this before with, like, work stoppages. But for players, and when you're told to stay inside – what do you do as a hitter? What do you do as a pitcher? Because you gotta, you gotta still train and be ready for once they say, "Hey, it's time to start playing again."
9: Isn't that the most um, challenging thing that the, the players are facing right now? As far as the profession is concerned, of course. First, you want to make sure your family is healthy and safe. You want to make sure you're healthy and safe. But then it's like, okay, how do I stay ready? Because we expect that we're going to be playing baseball, hopefully sooner than later. So. How do you stay ready? Well, this is the time when you get reacquainted, Chris, with those things you used to do when you were younger. You go back to those minimalist ways and uh, get reacquainted with the jump rope, you know, get reacquainted with just going uh, a jump place, you know, doing jumping jacks, you know, stretches. And you're like, really? I mean, after I've been through using all this uh, technology and all all these things that have helped me, uh, now I have to go back to jumping rope? And the answer is yes. Use it as a refresher. Use it as as something just bringing you back to your roots. And it's almost good for the soul and the mind. So I think that's what players need to focus on, going back to that minimalist
0: approach. Yeah, you got to fall in love with the batting tee. Maybe your wife is doing soft toss to you into a net.
9: (laughs) (laughs) That's right. You know what, Chris? Let me tell you. One of the things that people usually say, oh, players, you hear them say that all the time. I do. I'm just going to keep doing what got me here. Well... Now we really have to, you know, walk the talk, you know, yes, let's do what got you there. For me, it was hitting popcorn kernels. It's just as simple as that. And I kid you not, even in the big leagues, even when I was in in Oakland, I used to go underneath the bleachers and I used to have one of my friends, he was a bad boy at that time to toss me popcorn kernels. That's what I did when I was a kid and I didn't stop doing it when I was in the big league. So Get reacquainted with those little drills that you used to do with your dad in the backyard, um, you know, dry swings. For me, hitting popcorn, man, that, that got me ready. So get back to the basics.
0: You know, one of the things, I, I love your energy. I love your passion uh, on MLB Network. When did you think, you know, I don't know when you were when you were playing, but when did you go, you know what, this TV thing, this is for me, no question. When, when did you know that TV was going to be good for you?
9: <laughs> you, know, you know, it's so funny. Even just today, I was thinking about that. I'm like, wow, when I was younger, because I was walking upstairs, and I very rarely go by that room. It's, it's weird. You know. My, my wife made this beautiful memorabilia room, and I rarely go in there. I don't know why. Maybe because I'll get nostalgic, nostalgic about my career. I don't know why. But I walked by there last night, walked up there again this morning, and I'm reading all these articles, and I'm like, wow, I was a very driven young man. And, and I almost wanted to give myself a hug, you know, in a, in a sense, because I love that about the young me. You know, I, I, was, I, I always wanted to read, to get better at English, to, to be eloquent, even though it was my second language. I didn't just want to speak it. Um, I, I wanted to dominate it. I wanted to learn new vocabulary. I'm playing baseball. I don't need to speak English if you, you know, per se, right? I just need to hit the ball, right, and play defense, hit home runs. Well, now I look back and I'm like, wow, I'm glad I cared about, you know, educating myself, you know, in a different language and learning it and and mastering it, and I continue to do so uh, reading books, reading history, reading, you know, trying to do the best I could. Now I look back, I'm like, wow, I'm glad I did that. At the time, maybe it looked kind of silly. Um, but now I'm happy that I did that. I didn't think I was going to be working on TV, Chris, to be honest, um, but, but now I see that every little bit, that, that the time that I put in an effort that I put in, every seed that I you know, planted, I am now reaping the rewards of that. So, so I'm, I'm very pleased. I'm very happy and grateful that I stuck with it.
0: You know, I think about your career. And obviously you were in Oakland for part of the Moneyball year. So when you came up is when analytics is starting to blossom and then of course you played till all the way till 2014 so your whole career was in the analytics world. Have you been watching any of the replays of the old games on your network? And when you look at, like, baseball in the 70s compared to, like, when you played, just how different the game is from yesteryear to what the era you played in?
7: Oh,
9: 100%. I, I think that's a practice that, uh, that all, all of us should do, right? Because as time passes, we get kind of – you know, there's a paradigm shift that occurred around that time that I was with the Open A, Right. And eventually now it has you know, it solidified, and in this moment it has solidified, into an age where everything is computerized, every single stat is out there, advanced technology being used in the game, where the game has become less predictable than ever before, which it's a shame in a way because the beauty of this game is that it is unpredictable. But now you see the shifts that are being played. Uh, you see how teams are making decisions based on analytics, not necessarily human scouting. Um, and I think that's, you know, when we go to one extreme, um, in, in this case, is that analytics extreme, the sabermetrics. metrics, I think it takes a little bit of the essence of the game away, and I think it hurts the game of baseball. So, like I told you earlier about how guys are getting reacquainted with basic drills and things like that, I think it's a good exercise for all of us to look at those games in the 70s, in the 80s, when baseball was just kind of like, here's a baseball, try to hit it instead of these advanced scouting reports that we now see and people getting pitched through their weaknesses. And you know what I'm saying? And just kind of like utilizing all these um, numbers to help um, their, their, their cause. So I loved the fact that when I look at the 70s and 80s teams, there is this element of surprise. You never know what's going to happen. You don't know what might happen. The, 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 the weakest hitter in the lineup can beat you with one swing. Um, and you see the plays being made because people are playing straight up. I don't know. I kind of, I kind of missed those days. You know what
0: I mean? No doubt about it. And you may be one of the best guys to answer this question because you spent time in Chicago, you spent time in Detroit, Boston. Those are big markets. And then you spent time in Oakland and you spent time in Tampa and really the best years of your career. You had monster years in Tampa, I look at Tampa and Oakland. They're like mirror images of each other. They don't have a ton of money. They have all these obstacles, but Billy Bean and David Forrest don't use use excuses. They want to win. They want to be in the playoffs. What was it like playing in Oakland for a short period of time, but then playing in Tampa where you knew you didn't have the money of the Red Sox. You knew you didn't have the money of the Yankees, but you guys were going to try and be smarter, more efficient and win games what is it like playing for the little underdog versus playing with, like, the big boys in a big market?
7: Aha, that's a great question because we were just talking about,
9: hey, man, let's just go out there and flex our muscles, right, and play baseball and, and see what happens. Whoever's the best players, you know, whoever got the best players uh, win. Um, and, and, and that's it. Well, in Oakland and in Tampa Bay, You know, we're talking about going to extremes, right? I'm not saying that Oakland and Tampa Bay have gone to extremes, but they have most definitely used the analytics and the way they analyze players and the way they evaluate players and the value of the players and the way they they fabricate their lineups and the way they put together the teams. They've done it in such a way that they have yielded success. Now, both of these teams are, yes, at both ends of the spectrum, as far as, the, you know, North America is concerned, East Coast and West Coast, but they're pretty much dancing to the same sheet of music. You know, it's, it's about, you know, I'm going to get the right player for the right value, and then I am going to maximize their potential until a Christ for mercy. I mean, that's, that's basically their mentality and their approach, and they have been able to achieve that. I kind of love those stories because I think, um, you know, contrary to... You know, popular you know b- belief is is that okay? These guys have just utilized numbers. No, they they've done a pretty balanced uh, approach. Where man, there's some pretty good personality. There's good chemistry in that ball club. Yes, there's great uh, um, synergy as far as the talent of the players is concerned. However, talking about the A's of 2002, for example, with, when all this sabermetric wave started. Um, and how successful the A's were. And I was part of that ball club for a little while. And then you see the 2008 race, you know, the start in 2007, being the worst team in baseball, and all of a sudden became the best team in baseball, seemingly snapping their fingers. Um, There was a process. You know, the pieces were in place, but it finally came together and they succeeded. There is method to this madness, but it's not extremist. It's not one extreme and going to the other. Those teams that are able to strike the perfect balance – are the ones that win. And the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays seem to have that formula down pat.
0: You know, going if we're going to have a shortened season, you know, there's been rumors July 1st, whatever the date is, 100 games, 80 games – whatever they're able to get in, things have things dramatically change. You know, you had the, you had these teams that were the favorites when you start thinking about the Dodgers and you think about the Yankees and I'll throw the A's in there and you can throw in the Minnesota twins and certain teams that, that still the Houston Astros, you know, you're thinking, these are the favorites, but when you're only playing like a hundred games or 80 games, it's like anything can happen. I mean, I think it brings more teams into the mix What do you think a shortened season will be like for these teams, and especially for underdogs?
9: Yeah, this is uh, actually, I think, you know, in the midst of all this trouble. You know, we have so many negative news around the world, you know, but we're going to be talking about baseball. And I'm going to shed a little bit of light, a little bit of positive light into – into all this darkness, man. When baseball comes back, it's going to come back with a force. It's going to come back with with a, with, with understanding the responsibility that, that that we bear as baseball players, the baseball industry, to bring back normalcy to uh, you know America, to the world, to Latin America that loves baseball so much, and you know all all around the globe. And look, it's going to come out just uh, you know on a full sprint. And the sprint it is. It's a hundred games, and I love that about, for example, the wild cards and. And the, and the postseason, that really it's about a team getting hot. And wherever it gets hot, it's able to go up and, and get into, uh, late into the postseason. Now, we're not talking about five games here. We're talking about 100 games. So still a very big sample size, but it's 62 less games. 62. I mean, we're talking about, you know, a, a big chunk of the whole entire season that's going to be taken away. So all of a sudden – hey, guys, let's play good baseball here, and we may have a shot. There are some some teams there that I think are going to surprise. And I got my eye on, Chris, on on the White Sox. I mean, that's a team that intrigues me because of all their additions. You know, last year, um, you could see that they were kind of moving in the right direction. You see Moncada making good strides. And then you see them acquire, you know, pretty good players, Keiko, Grandal, Masara. You know, I'm, I'm thinking, man, Massaro with that swing and that ballpark. How about and Carnacion in that ballpark? And then Gio Gonzalez, who was able to get healthy. I'm, I'm thinking the White Sox might, might come out really, really strong. Yes, the Twins are in there. We can't forget about the Indians. But I think the team that's going to surprise us the most is going to be the White Sox. But in reality, this is a great opportunity for any ball club to go ahead and get off the gates hot. And you got a shot.
0: I I think you're dead right. And, you know, the thing that we've been talking about here on A's Cast Live, and we'll end with this, is once baseball gets back, it's going to be so popular. Even people who really don't watch baseball on a regular basis are going to be jonesing for live content. And this is an opportunity for baseball to get back to being our national pastime because baseball has always been there for us through tragedies and, 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 and through horrific events. If baseball can get back playing and help us heal, it'll just be great for our sport.
9: 100%. You're dead on right, uh, Chris. Look, I I remember 2001. I remember exactly where I was when the Twin Towers got attacked. And uh, that was a dreadful day in the history of the United States of America and the world. I I was in San Francisco. It was early morning. I was playing for the Texas Rangers. This is a year before I, I, I became an Oakland A And we didn't play baseball for a few days. You know, everything stopped and rightfully so. But then all of us understood the responsibility that lied on our shoulders to just bring back hope to the American people, to bring back just a little bit, a sense of normalcy back to to society and and, and to, to America, to Americans, to baseball fans. And baseball is that constant. It's like a lifeline. for for this culture, uh, for for the American people. So I assume that that is precisely what's going to happen. As soon as we are able to get back on our feet here and get back uh, between the lines playing this game we love, um, I I think America and and the whole entire world is going to take a deep breath and say, here we go again, you know, let's get back on our feet and get it going.
0: Hey, there's nothing wrong with you going into that room with all that memorabilia. You earned it. You had a terrific career, and you're doing a great job. We love watching you, MLB Network, and then, of course, bringing you back here to the A's family. Thank you so much for the time. Be safe with you and your family. We'll talk to you soon.
9: Thank you so much, Chris. As you can see, you get me talking baseball. I can't stop yapping, man. I love this game. Thank you for having me, man.
0: You're the best. Take care, Chris. Tom, it's great to have you on the program once again. Uh, how's life treating you there in Ohio?
3: Well, everything's great. You know, obviously, uh, it's, a, it's a trying time in this country. And, uh, you know, um, our governor back here, Mike DeWine, was one of the, you know, the early leaders who shut some stuff down. And, and has uh, done a great job back here. And so uh, so far, so good. And obviously, there's a lot of sadness and tragedy everywhere from coast to coast and all over the world. So just hoping and praying uh, for everybody out there.
0: You know, this upcoming season for the Cincinnati Reds is going to be so different because your father's not going to be on the air. And of course he got honored everywhere. We honored him here in Oakland last year as he's truly one of the great voices of the game. So it's just obviously retirement's going to be great for him. He had a blessed career and the two of you got to work together, but it'll just be a little odd not having your dad around.
3: It really will. Uh, I think it will be on multiple levels. Uh, obviously, for the people that have listened to them for 47 years, uh, so that the players, because as you know, they come and go, uh, much like you had out there for, for years and years, a, a guy like Bill King. And it's, uh, and then it'll be different just for us who, who had a chance to be around them every day. I, I think that the highlight of the day for most of us when we went to work uh was having dinner with him because he's just so much fun to be around. He's a funny guy. He loves giving people the business and uh and loves taking it back. And uh we're we're really going to miss him uh a lot. There's no doubt about it.
0: You know, Bob Nightingale, a friend of this program. We just had Bob on 2 days ago uh has now put out on USA today about how this potentially could get going once again where the teams in Florida would play each other. You know Arizona real well from your time with the Diamondbacks, and all the teams in Arizona would start to play, and whoever's the best team out of Arizona plays the best team out of Florida. I don't know if this can happen. I just know what it would mean. I think everybody, just to see some live yep. entertainment, what that would mean. Yep. Kind of, wouldn't you say propel our game back to being national pastime?
3: Well, it would certainly help. I mean, you know, to, to to have the opportunity, and look, there are far more important things out there than, than any of the professional sports franchises and collegiate athletics, and heck, even high school. I got two kids that, uh, you know, were in the middle of their spring uh, seasons uh, here in Cincinnati, and, and obviously, for the time being, that is shut down. So, you know, there are a lot more important things in life, obviously, as we're learning literally minute by minute, but um, it would be a, an incredible lift to the sport of baseball if they can get back on the field. It would be great for the country. All those things you said, I couldn't say it better. Uh, but from 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 the from the health standpoint of the game, it would be a, a huge lift because the game has really started to suffer in recent years on multiple levels, and um, and, and needs to find a way to, to 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 steer its way back on track because it's been off track, I think. I feel like for quite some
9: time.
0: Well, when I look at the NL Central, so what we've done with this program is we're going we're we're doing every single team and we started with the NL West. We're now in the Central and the Cincinnati Reds really are kind of a chic pick right now to win the Central and we're 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 in this world of we don't know how long the season's going to be, so Kind right. of underdogs in a shortened season it's kind of anybody's game right now if, when you think about it well
3: it, it is I think that I think it's probably you know you you hear all the time when you're coming out of spring training or going into spring training that the hitters you know and theoretically and I'm sure a lot of people would tell you that most people feel like hitters generally are ahead of the pitchers when the season begins. I think we universally let's say agree on that point but but one of the things for the reds that That certainly their starting rotation is among the best in all of Major League Baseball, and and you know you start with Luis Castillo, who who, you know is as good a pitcher as really as there is in the National League right now, and then you follow up with Sonny Gray. Of course, you know all about him. He had an incredible season last year with the Reds and you know trevor bauer is a guy that's been as good as anybody in the american league for a long time he did not pitch well once he came over from cleveland in the trade last year for the reds but most people feel like that's a bump in the road and then you know guys you've never heard of like anthony d has become a rock solid major league starting pitcher in fact he had the second or third best era in the national league from the all-star break on last year as he started to grow up a little bit and then they bring in a veteran like wade miley so you know, when you start with, with that quintet of pitchers uh, in your starting rotation, along with a bullpen that looks to be like a major strength of the team, if you believe that pitching uh, can lead the way body into the division from a pitching standpoint, they look to be the best pitching team in the division.
0: Yeah, we've had Trevor, and as you mentioned, we've known Sonny Gray since he came up. And uh, you mentioned Trevor Bauer, who we've had on this program. He really is a fascinating guy, and he's a really smart guy. I love interviewing him. I I love talking to him. And, 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 you know, how many times have we said, ah, these baseball players are just blah, they don't say anything? That is not Trevor Bauer.
3: It's not It is definitely not Trevor Bauer. Uh, but but like anything else, and look, if you had to pick one or the other of guys that aren't afraid to step out there and say something compared to guys that don't say anything, I'll take the guys that will say something all day, every day. And and, and I certainly believe you feel the same way. Having said that, you know, I, I think there have been a couple of times where you can make the argument, and he's even admitted himself where he sort of crossed that line. You know, when he when he turned it into a personal thing by, by you know, making the comments he made about the commissioner, whether you like the commissioner or don't like the commissioner, you can sit around and debate that all day long. But you know, I, I think he even admitted that he wishes he could take back what he said and then some of the things he said about him this off season. But you're right, he's a super smart guy. Uh he's a caring guy. You know, he, he cares about helping people and doing things for charity and, and trying to make people's lives better if he can with his platform and the situation. So, you know, I I, I I'm with you. Um you know, it's it's fun having him around here.
0: And then you talk about the offense that you've brought in as it's clear indication that Cincinnati believes they can win. That's why they're adding guys and spending some money.
3: Yeah. Well, the, the offense was, was just so inconsistent last year. And, you know, the, the outfield production was brutal until Aquino had the, the, the month of all time for any player in the history of the game in August and then really tailed off in September. But You know, they've got good players along the infield. They've got productive players. Um, And and now all of a sudden they're just like, you know, hey, with this pitching staff that we've assembled through various ways, whether it be drafting them, developing, trading for them, signing them, whatever it might be, um, you know, it's time now to to, to give those pitchers an offense that if they do their job, you're going to score enough to win a lot more than you're going to lose. And, you know, they bring in Moustakas, who's just an outstanding player, um really good player. Castellanos looks like he has finally started to live up to, to the number one pick billing. He had good years in Detroit, but nothing like he had last year once he came over to the Cubs. I mean he, he was he was arguably one of the top three, four or five offensive players in the national league once he came in the trade from the Tigers to Chicago. So you put those guys in your lineup to go with you know, Eugenio Suarez, who hit, you know, 49 home runs last year, has become one of the great, you know, third basemen in, in all the Major League Baseball. He gets overshadowed a lot by, you know, guys like Arenado and, and Machado and some others that are in the league, but he's as good as anybody around uh, on both sides of the field, in, in the field and, and at the plate.
8: And, and then, you know, you've got some other guys you got to count on to step up and,
3: and deliver the goods and, and hope that Botto can come back and at least be a player who. Who was who a productive player? He'll never be an MVP caliber player again, I don't think.
0: So we go into Detroit. He wears us out for four games in Detroit. Then he goes to the Cubs. And of course, the A's were taking on the Central last year. So I had to see him multiple times. And it, it's yeah. it, it's amazing. He's a doubles machine. Yeah.
3: Yeah. He had over 50 of them last year, almost 60, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, it, it, it was an unbelievable uh, – it was an unbelievable season. I'm I'm, I'm really looking forward because I also work for the Raiders, and we were back taking on Cincinnati. I want to say it was two seasons ago. And when you go around town, we even went over to Kentucky and just, just see everybody with the, all the big red machine stuff. Cincinnati, and we've been watching a lot of uh, classic baseball. We're actually going to be airing next Friday here in the Bay Area. We're going to be airing the uh, – some games from the 1972 World Series, A's yeah. from A's against the Reds. But there's just such great history. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Cincinnati Reds are truly one of the great franchises in our game.
3: Well, they they have been, and they're the oldest franchise. They were the first franchise. Last summer, uh, we celebrated our 150th anniversary. That's the oldest professional sports franchise in North America, and so you know there is there's a lot of tradition. Uh, there's been a lot of success it 's not necessarily been the case for the last number of years um, uh but you know they had a good little run at it uh you know in, in ten eleven twelve thirteen fourteen but man since then they have been lean lean days uh for this franchise and and you 'd like to think they 'll find a way to 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 they're they're certainly going in the right direction There are a lot of franchises out there that that are not you know you you could say they're just not they're, they're not trying and you cannot say that about the Reds franchise they are trying to win
0: yeah and that that is good news and hopefully we'll get football going again i mean i, I would like yeah, to see, yeah. i would like to see baseball get the headlines of being the first team I and mean, hopefully what happens in th- done. I mean, really what we've been trying to do here, Tom, and, and our and our president, Dave Cavill, is like, you guys got to get back on the air to give some relief to the people who are locked inside and, and, and need a yep. distraction and so bringing on familiar voices and, of course, your voice for all the years in the NFL and college football and Major League Baseball, I, I think it's really key for people to hear from someone like yourself because your voice, I mean, people, know they, they know who you are and they love your work.
3: Well, I I really appreciate those kind words. You know, it's funny. Since we moved back to the Midwest after having lived in in Arizona so long and all those years, I mean, Saturday after Saturday after Saturday for, you know, 12 years – you know, I had a chance to do that to the Fox Saturday baseball game of the week, and it's I'm always I'm just always amazed at how how friendly and kind so many people I meet, especially up and down the West Coast and into California, especially Northern California. And I don't say that because I'm on the air with you. I mean, I remember the first time I met Aaron Rodgers, and you know came walking in the door of a meeting we were doing a Packers game. He says, "Man," he says, know, oh, I feel like I grew up with you in my household." And I'm looking at him like, "What?" You know, he's like, man. You know, he said I was a big, you know, baseball fan of the Giants and the A's and all this stuff. He said I used to watch you. I said he said every Saturday, and I'm just like, well, now, now you know you're getting old. But, but it was it was very flattering, and 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 some of those, so many of those days, whether it's over at, uh, you know, at the Coliseum or uh, at AT and old AT and T Park, um, the people are just awesome. And I I sincerely mean that. It's one of my favorite places to go visit and be around the people who are sports fans because it's a great area out there.
0: You know, during these times, you know, you've been watching a lot of MLB Network. What's it like for you when you get to sit back and watch some old games with Cincinnati Reds and the Big Red Machine and you're looking at Johnny Bench and Pete Rose and Joe Morgan from Oakland? What's that like for you?
3: Yeah, I mean it's great. And you know, I lived, I lived the, the the most you know blessed childhood that anybody could ever want. If you're a sports fan, yeah. you know, my dad got the job with the Reds in '74, and we were living in Virginia Beach, Virginia. And uh, we go to spring training when the Reds were in Tampa t- training back in those days, and that was their spring training home forever. Most people think the Yankees have been there forever. The Reds were the ones that were there forever. And I just recall that you know the very first day walking in the clubhouse and I mean the first four guys I meet are, are Pete Rose Johnny bench Joe Morgan Tony Perez and you know it's just like you know but and you hate to say it, but it's almost like as you started getting older, you know you started taking some of that stuff I think for granted like you know i I was just, I've never been a collector kind of guy and and never really went for autographs and things like that so I don't have any of that stuff but what I have is is you know are the memories of of some of the days of being around those guys. And and then, you know, as fate would have it, thank God, years later, um, when I first had a chance to start announcing Major League Baseball, I'm announcing the games with Johnny Bench, and Pete Rose is the manager. You know, and it's just like, and and now here we are um, living back in Cincinnati, and, you know, each of these guys have either, A, had their jersey retired, B, built a statue outside the ballpark of those guys, and you're still around them all the time, and yet you're looking at men who are now starting to get up into their mid 70s and upper 70s, and it's hard to believe. It's really
8: hard to believe.
3: But thank God they're all still going strong. You know, my favorite of that whole group has always been Joe Morgan. I, I just I I love Joe Morgan as a as a player, and and more importantly as a man. I just spent a lot of time with him because he still works for the Reds organization. He's in town a lot. Um, when he's not out there in his home uh, in Northern California and you know, he went through some rough days the last year, year and a half, and he's finally starting to feel a lot better.
0: Tom, we always uh, appreciate your time. Be well, be safe, and, and truly, it's just great to hear your voice, a familiar voice, and I know our fans feel the same way. So be well, and we'll talk to you during the season.
3: Well, all the best, and and, and send hello to uh, our good friend Bob Melvin. We're just so happy and thrilled with the job that he's done out there. I was with him for many, many seasons with Bob Brenly there in Arizona. And, boy, what a job he has done with that franchise. So thanks for having me today. I really appreciate it. You take care of yourself.
0: Take care, Tom. All righty. Well, it is always great to have him back on the program here on A's Cast Live. He is your all-star closer, Liam Hendricks. And, once again, Liam is doing so much for people. What this guy does away from the field is absolutely unbelievable. He's a friend of the program, and it's just going to be good to hear his voice. Liam, how are you? I'm
10: doing good. How about
0: you guys? Uh, we're, we're, we're hanging in there, and that's kind of the one thing that we've really, since we started the show back up, is to get people on familiar voices for the fan base. I think they really appreciate hearing Ray Fossey or Ken Korak or yourself. It's just familiarity. I think it's really good for the fans to hear you.
10: Yeah, they've got a bit better uh, radio voice than I do, but I, I'll try and put my hat in the ring.
0: Well, what you and your wife do, it's truly incredible. And you guys don't stop. And yesterday, helping out Oakland police officers with lunch and now Alameda County police today. When did you guys decide, hey, we need to reach out, we need to help back here in the Bay Area?
10: I mean, we've been looking at trying to do something for a little bit, but um we realized when we contacted the Ace about getting it all figured out, they were saying that we're going they were going into the hospitals and and giving them food and stuff like that, so like okay we're going uh we're going to take take the same approach but we're going to do it to an area that not as many people are thinking of, and that was the uh the police departments and my wife has a kind of a connection with that being a daughter and a granddaughter of law enforcement. And so it's something that we feel pretty strongly about. We dealt with the uh, the OPD and the Alameda Police Department last year a little bit, just through some of the crazy times we had. And so we just, there's faces that we are familiar with, and we want to make sure that we take care of the people that take care of us.
0: Yeah, I mean, there, there's so many people that are out there right now putting their lives on the line to help protect all of us. And not only from the people working in the hospitals, uh, but also the people that, you know, people are driving ambulances and the firemen and the police officers. You know, what these what these men and women are doing for us right now is so special. And it just truly shows their dedication. When they made that dedication, hey, we're going to try and, and help people. That's our job. It's it, it's just it's so valiant what they are doing.
10: Yeah, I mean, without a doubt. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that are in the background of uh, keeping everybody safe, making sure that society doesn't crumble. I mean, Everyone's on a lockdown, but there's still cases that go on. There's still people calling 911. There's still emergencies that happen. So these people need to be readily and available. And, I mean, you look at some of the people coming out of retirement and volunteering their time just to make sure that everyone's staying safe and making sure that there's enough going around for what everyone, anyone needs.
0: You know, when was it? that you and your wife, your wife, Christy, decided that, you know, we're going to use this platform that you have as a major league baseball player to not only help humans, also to help pets. When when, when did that decision come down for you too?
10: I mean, it's been a long time since we've, we've always wanted to do something, but we because of the way my career tracked for the first several years, we were up and down. We weren't really solidified anywhere. And so it's really hard to kind of make an impact when you're shuttling up and down and doing this and do, going from different organizations to different organizations. So once we got settled in Oakland after a while, and once I got through kind of that first full year, we started really thinking about what we could do off the field and who we can impact. And we've always had a heart for animals. We've always had a heart for kind of making people feel like this: we're, we're actually people. We're not above anybody else. We're just regular people trying to do as much as we can for a community that we're in.
0: And no doubt, once you start, as you say, you solidify your career and you start doing what you're doing, and then now you're an all-star, I mean, thank God that happened for you because that helped your platform get bigger.
10: Without a doubt. I mean, that's the biggest thing about – or the best thing about having any sort of success on the field for me is it, it amplifies what we're doing off the field. So all of a sudden, with what we've been able to do, we've had a lot of, a lot of different people reach out about what we've done because of seeing me in the all-star game or seeing the success I had last year, seeing the success the A's had last year. And just reaching out and being like, hey, look, I'm going through something similar. It's been really nice hearing the fact that you like, that you and your wife are speaking so candidly about being bullied in high school and certain things like that. And then not only that, we're raising, being able to raise some money for some of the animals with guy with all of a sudden we're able to post about animal like Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Foundation or players with pits out of Chicago and all of a sudden they get an influx of donations or an influx of calls wanting to foster it's just seeing that has been has been very very rewarding and more so than actually playing in the All-Star Game having that recognition about that has really pushed forward everything we've been doing off the field.
0: You know speaking of rewarding I remember talking to Tony LaRusso about like when he first started ARF to where it is today. It's truly amazing how much it has grown. How about for your projects, from when you started them to where they are today, what has that been like to watch them grow?
10: Oh, it's been unbelievable. I mean, obviously, you look at uh, Tony's kind of the way it started all with him was a, was a, a Coliseum cat, and that kind of waked into woke himself into his heart, and all of a sudden he starts a rescue foundation. So it's just those little things that are that are the uh, the butterfly effect that kind of spawns everything, the ripple effect. But uh, yeah, it's been it's been really cool watching what we've been able to do with all of a sudden people reaching out, people doing interviews in the strikeout bowling shows, or people hearing the fact that I'm doing something with animals and reaching out to certain places. It's been it's been really really cool watching everything grow. Like we were with players with Pits from the get-go in 2014. And they have just watching them expand, watching the, the kind of the amount of animals they're able to help out, increase every single year based on not barely what we, me and Christy are doing. It's a lot of the or what Stephanie's doing who runs it. But it's just being able to see everything kind of grow and have your little handprint in there and being able to kind of just help out in any way we can. has been It's been really, really rewarding. And obviously we have now seven animals, so it's uh, – we have our own little part in helping the uh, the, the adopt bone shop cause as well.
0: How how are the animals doing in lockdown?
10: They've been good. I think the the cats are really kind of pissed off the fact that we're home all the time because they don't get as much <laughs> running around time. The dogs are the dogs love it because one, I'm at home. I just sit on like oh, I like to sit on the couch. I like to read, and so my dog just decides to she'll just sit there for hours on end while I'm reading. And Jack, Christy, well, we have separate dogs. I mean, Stella's mine. Jack's pretty much is Christy's. And they're the family dogs, but they have their owners. And Jack's all excited because he gets to go on walks twice a day. Like, it's it's been pretty cool. We're actually fostering uh, Luella right now, who we're, we're calling Lulu. She had a broken leg that we got fixed the other day. And she's been uh, enjoying life with us because she's now in a cast, unfortunately. But she gets all the attention. She gets all the snacks. And she gets uh, – she has to sit on the couch and just kind of be a very, very lazy dog while it all while it all heals, and hopefully she'll be running around here shortly.
0: You know, we've been doing a lot of walking with the kids and the dog, and I can tell now our dog Spencer will like look up and go, "We're going for another walk, really, really."
10: <laughs>
0: yeah,
10: um, at the start of the start of it all, when we started getting the leashes out, Stella would be all about it, and Jack was all all about it. Now you pull them out, and they're kind of like, um, uh, "Yeah, I don't know." Like, I. A lot from yesterday's workout. Let's take a day.
0: <laughs> I think about how much Major League Baseball players travel, and then I think about you, how much you travel, especially when you go back home to Australia. What is it like, you know, uh, not being on planes and not going to hotels? And that's got to be very different for me. You're spending a lot more time at home than probably you have in a long, long time.
10: Yeah, it's been weird. I think uh, I'm actually starting to get an imprint in the bed. Um, which doesn't usually happen because my side of the bed's vacant for half the season. So it's, uh, it's been weird in that regard, but it's been nice being able to home. Like I, I can't remember the last time where I have been at home and able to make like a sandwich for myself because usually I'm going to the field and getting food there or I'm on the road and I'm having to get it out of the hotel or it's like that. Like I just made like a really nice salami sandwich on some multi-grain bread. And it's just, it's, it, it brought me back to home. Like I was making and I told my wife like, Hey, look, this is, this is the way I used to make it. My, uh, my dad's mom. And it's just, we're, we're getting a little reminiscent about all these things.
0: Yeah. And, and we haven't talked to you in a while. And obviously with what's going on around the world, we've kind of lost sight on what was going on in Australia with those horrific fires. How are things in Australia right now?
10: Uh, last I heard they were doing, they were doing a lot better. There was, um, in late January, early February, they still had about 50 fires burning, but then the rain came a little bit and helped kind of, uh, tamp that all down, which is good. The tamp- the rain came, the winds died down. It helped a lot. And then obviously they're starting to recover and everything happens now. But there's, um, there's a lot of like, it, it's some very tough times back home just for, uh, for everything kind of back to back. It's like when you get knocked off your surfboard and you get hit by another wave when you're already under. But um, it's, it's Australia is very, a very resilient country, a very um, – they're used to being able to kind of take a hit and bouncing back. And, and I I don't doubt that this will be another one of those occasions. But uh, right now, I think everyone's kind of making sure that where they're at currently is, is doing well and improving. And as soon as everyone improves and kind of gets back to normal life, it'll be, it'll be very interesting to see the landscape of how everything goes.
0: You know, we have always appreciated your time when you come on. You're very generous with your time with us here on A's Cast Live, and and what you do, so many different things that you and your wife do. It's very, very special. And to help these police officers who are out there, you know, whether there's a virus or not, they're always putting their lives on the line. So to help them out and just just
10: appreciate them more is is one of the biggest tragedies around. Is
4: if they
0: think they need protection
10: or not? Whether they whatever their stance is on anything, they're going out there no matter what. And it's just a tribute to a tribute to what uh, the society is. I mean, we're uh, at baseball players. We all appreciate the security guys are out there protecting not only like the bullpens, the dugouts, the wives, the, ev- the family section. It's just, it's, there's nothing we can do that is ever going to be enough. And I just want to make sure that they know that we appreciate them more than they know. And hopefully, uh, this will just be a little step in the right direction about making sure they feel that way.
0: Yeah. I used to say all the time that, uh, you know, when you call nine one, one Derek Jeter's not showing up. It's a police officer. They're the real heroes. Hey, thank you so much for the time. Be safe. And I can't wait to get this thing going again. And, and I can tell you this, I know for A's fans, it it was just great hearing your voice once again. So be safe. and We'll talk soon.
1: All
10: right. Thanks, man. If you ever need me, just let me know.
1: This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.
11: Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best...